1: Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs.
0: Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash wondery. No, no, you're good, mate. Uh, what's up, Gypsy Gang? We are back for another episode of the Gypsy Tales podcast, and I'm always stoked to bring you these episodes. But this one just a little bit extra stoked, uh, purely because the guy that is doing the podcast today is just one of the gnarliest guys alive, if you're into anything that is remotely uh, close to what we talk about regularly on this podcast. Uh, it is with Jeffrey Hurlings, arguably the fastest man alive, uh, the fastest man in motocross, and... He just doesn't do a lot of these, and uh, they're always my favorite interviews to do. Um, the Jason Anderson one springs to mind, the Chad Reed episode uh, years back springs to mind. Casey, um, I don't know. They're just always better when guys, for you know whatever reason, they don't do a lot of them. So, and th- this is one of those episodes. I I met Jeff in I think we worked it out to be two thousand and thirteen. Really briefly, we filmed over one weekend in McGrath's Ranch, and then I never really had anything to do with him after that. But just that one weekend, I guess, kind of gave me context of like a little bit about his personality. So I was hoping that he'd bring that to the table in this podcast, and he definitely did. This was so much fun. And uh, for a guy that doesn't do a lot of interviews, he is pretty fucking good at it. So. Hope you guys enjoy this one. Um, we, I don't know. We talk about probably most of the stuff that you want to hear, really. So I just won't hype it up much more than that and just let you guys get into it. Um, but before I do let you guys get into it, just got to give a shout out to our sponsors. And this episode is brought to you by the guys... And girls at Alpine Stars. Now, if you were one of the people that watched our Stark vlog from Europe, um, you'll see that I was running some Alpine Stars gear over there. Um, they they're on board with the Stark guys as well, um, in a pretty big way. You'll see Tortelli running the Stark gear, uh, the Alpine Stars gear on the Stark. Um, it was just coincidental. I just really, really wanted to run um, the Alpine Stars kit. I just I kind of had a kit in mind the red boots um, with the the new gear and then the red gloves. So I kind of just like, I had a bit of a look in mind and Alpine Stars was perfect for that. They're pretty much killing it. Obviously, Jeffrey Hurlings runs Alpine Stars, Jason Anderson, Eli Tomac. Uh, you've got all the star team uh, in boots and helmets. So yeah, these guys pretty much at the top of the game. So they also were incredible to us um, when we were doing the MotoGP thing uh, and the Formula One thing. So just a huge shout out to the guys at Alpine Stars for helping us make the Euro trip come true um, and then also helping out with, uh, with this episode with Jeffrey Helling. So head to any retailer worldwide or alpinestars.com. Whether you ride road, whether you ride motocross, whether you're an enduro guy, whether you're an adventure bike guy, Alpine Stars has you covered. Next, we are brought to you by the guys at MX Store. Pretty sure you can get a uh, whatever you need from Alpine Stars at MX Store uh, if you're in Oz. But uh, MX Store, a long-time sponsor of ours, and we are excited for the Battle of the Bush that is coming up at Conondale on the 8th and 9th uh, of July. This is going to be a super fun race. Uh, the team's races are always so much fun. We're always doing the Transmoto uh, Enduro team race, but this is the first Moto team race uh, that... I think i've ever done the feature race uh, of the each day is the three uh three man team one hour moto which i'm really looking forward to doing they've also got the 125 cup now uh, there's a 250 class and then an open class so this will be a super rad weekend if you've never been to conondale this is worth traveling for um i think it's probably one of the funnest tracks i've ever been to um yeah it's definitely a track that's worth coming this is like a this is like a good six seven hour drive track i reckon we're lucky that we don't live that far um but yeah this is definitely one worth traveling to. so more details at mxstore.com.au we're also brought to you by the guys at crushoz.com they are the best bike wash in the game uh, even run the bucket at Manji when I went. Sort of just one of those things that if you go away racing, you kind of need to take your Crush Oz bike care bucket. Uh, again, CrushOz.com to check it all out. We're also brought to you by the guys at Fist Handwear. You can head to FistHandwear.com. The code Gypsy Gang gets you twenty percent off the best gloves in the world. I even had to bust out the uh the antifreeze gloves for Manji. It was that cold for Pracky in the morning, so they got you covered in all weather. Uh, also, the guys at Rival Inc. You can head to rivalincdesignco.com. The guys at Tropical Auto, Rockhampton. Uh, for your new Ford Isuzu Mitsubishi or Kia, hit up Kyle, uh, and anyone that buys a car from the Gypsy Gang will get a $500 MXL voucher. So, Thank you to all of our sponsors. Thank you to everybody for listening. Uh, we're just about to hit 100K on YouTube. So if you haven't subbed to that channel, that would be awesome if you could do that. It's Gypsy Tales podcast. Uh, actually, Gypsy Tales. Sub to Gypsy Tales podcast as well. Uh, merch is online at gypsytales.shop and check out our Eurovlogs if you haven't already. They're pretty cool. Ronan killed it. That's it for me. This is an epic podcast with the fastest man alive, Jeffrey Hurlings from the gang called- gypsy gang and they come and get gypsy gang, gang and they come and get gypsy got him all right well i think we're good then eh?
2: yeah we're good send it
0: all right so let's send it jeffrey hurlings welcome to <laughs> gypsy tales mate i'm very very excited we sort of just like said a little bit then you don't do interviews very often i promise we'll talk about some cool stuff Um, But yeah, man, I'm stoked, super stoked to have you. I
2: appreciate it, man. I'm glad to be on your show.
0: So I don't know if you would remember this, but we've met, and we it was really random, and it was like a crazy trip, and then I literally never spoke to you again after that.
2: When did we meet? I can't even remember.
0: So we met at McGrath Ranch.
2: It's, you, that you got you got the y- i just hear i just heard you set mcgrath runs and then the in the, the class but i think was it this uh, like freaking 10 years ago mate that was like november right, 2013 was so, when we did a dc shoot
0: yeah yeah it was so long ago dude and i remember i just moved to america <laughs> so i was the one that shot all of the ground footage at mcgrath for the verb platinum because remember wes and the boys yeah. had were doing all the drone stuff so, I was the one that shot all the stuff on the ground. So, I'd like never oh, really? met ya, And I I remember you rocked up and it was just like a fucking hurricane rolled through town, eh? And uh, do you remember how crazy that night? I won't talk about how, the night, but do you remember how crazy that night
2: was? <laughs> yeah, that was fun. And it was uh, it was somewhere in November. We were like freaking in the middle of nowhere. At that time, We okay, we, we, we barely had the iPhones, but there was no freaking internet. It was, I think, McGrath's ranch. There was no freaking internet yeah. on board. You, if, if somebody would have died, you would probably nobody would have ever known. So, it's, it was pretty insane. And it was like, yeah, it was a insane few days, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember just like, the footage was epic. Like, the light that we got, you're riding, you were like the only dude on the track. And then at night was just fucking out of control. Like, if if someone did die, I wouldn't have been surprised. It was just loose. And I was just like... <laughs> And then, like you just left, and I left, and I was like, "Jesus fuck, Jeffrey Hurling is a wild child." And then that was it. <laughs> I haven't seen you since.
2: <laughs> yeah, true. It was. I think that the outcome of the, vi- the video was actually pretty solid. And it was it wasn't the DC days. I remember that when I had a sponsorship with DC, so I had to fly to US yeah. uh, sometime for that. So um, it was fun. It was with Nate Holly and then uh, apparently you guys. So it was a was a fun video to shoot. And uh, yeah, it was good times to remember
0: yeah 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 i was only just thinking about it today i've thought about it a couple times like just i guess watching your career and racing after because you were super young then dude like i mean you were probably still a teenager then i think it might have been your first maybe trip to america
2: um actually it was 2013 so i was 18 maybe just turned 19 so at that time was a twice world champion mx2 and um yeah i was young and wild yeah
0: yeah. And stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah yeah, No, it was cool it just it just made me think like when you've got that context of hanging out for that weekend or whatever it was and then you see like the way you ride or the way you are with the media and like just i kind of feel like i could see a bit of your personality and it just made you make sense to me in a way that maybe you don't make sense to some other fans that like don't know that side (laughs) of you you know
2: not true but um at that time you know we didn't have instagram um the the complete social media was way smaller as as as, as it is today like today when something happens you will know within a few minutes it will be somewhere on instagram or or wherever At, at that time you just basically have facebook maybe a little bit of Twitter and that's it, you know? So at that time, yeah. you know, now you basically see everything from everyone. Like if you want to know what Chad Lauren's up to, you just probably follow him on Instagram. You probably like know what where he's at and what he's doing. But at that time, nobody really knew. So when you want to see guys, yeah. you have to see them at the races or whatever. So yeah, things have changed, but that was they were good days.
0: Nah, that was cool. Uh, yeah, no, I was just thinking about that. I was like, I wonder if he remembers that whole deal. But um, so then the first time, I ever saw you ride. I remember watching a video, and I don't, this was like so long ago. I'm pretty sure I downloaded it off like LimeWire or something like that. But it was a video of you on an RM85 at the World Junior Champs in Lommel. And I, I'd, I'd heard of Ken Roxon, but I'd never heard of you and i was just like holy shit who is this kid riding an rm80 in the sand so that was the first time i actually saw you ride as well
2: yeah i think i won i won that world title i think in, in 2008 man it seems like when i say 2008 it seems like so far away i'm like yeah it's a long time ago you know what i mean but it was yeah. it was fun like i re- used to raise that max nc i think he wasn't like a kind of super mini 85 kdm which was like a rocket and i was on a suzuki like Rah! but um, <laughs> yeah. yeah so i so I, I won i won that thing but uh yeah and then the year after i moved to i moved to kdm then went to the big bikes but um yeah you know ken roxon was always one step ahead like when he was racing on 85s he was always faster than i was so but he, he was naughty man on the 85 he was like 11 or 12 years old he would throw bubble scrubs like oh look at this guy We're like this is insane he was like super fast in the 80s
0: yeah that's crazy to think man and and i was i I re-watched that video today actually uh just i found it still on youtube and uh i was wondering i was like man i bet you second through 10th are just all in the gps right now and i just don't know who they are
2: (laughs) yeah like at at the time it was like roxton was super hyped up you know he was gonna be the next big thing, and he turned out to be that one, <laughs> and then just, yeah. I was just a little bit after him, and then uh, it was just me, Anstey, and Roxanne, we were like, yeah, the 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 heavy hitters coming through, you know, let's say, so, um, you know, Max, he had a bit of a tough time on, on the big bikes, um, he had some good races in Europe, some good ones in America, but never really got a championship, but yeah, me and Kenny, we, obviously, I won five, five titles over in Europe, and he won... One one world title he did win a few outdoor championships i think and maybe one supercross yeah 250 i think he's thing. two yeah
0: but two and one yeah
2: yeah so actually all of us three we never really had the career we were all hoping for like kenny with the injuries he had on his arm and then i like multiple of injuries like not as bad as his ones but always something so yeah for the the talent we've had we never really we were a little bit like james too man we we were super fast super talented but due to bad luck and crashes and whatsoever, we we were often the fastest, but never really got all the championship in what we kind of deserved, you know?
0: Yeah, no, I I think so too. I um, I want to come back to that because I think there's some pretty interesting stuff there. Uh, when I watch that video though, even now, you can just see that you that bike was so slow, right? And <laughs> yeah. when I ride sand now, to me, I'll ride like a, well, perfect example I just did a race in Manjimup on the 450 and it was like gnarly rough gnarly sand and I just suck and the bike feels three million times too fast for me but that's (laughs) a guy that has never grown up riding sand and then goes and just tries to ride sand whereas with you I was thinking about it today I'm like man that's maybe the reason why these kids that grow up in the sand are so fast is because they start on a 50 like everybody else, but their bike is so fucking slow. It's just a turd until they get onto a 250F. And then even in the sand, a 250F still kind of a turd. So it sort of makes sense in a way that the reason you guys are so fast that grow up in the sand is because you always want to go faster and you're almost like held back by how much the soil weighs you down. And then... You have to really learn how to carry momentum from such a young age. So I don't know. It was just kind of a thought I had today, and I guess you're the perfect guy to ask about that.
2: Yeah, true. Like especially when you're from Holland, like when you have Europe, do you have sand? You basically only in Holland we basically have sand. So whenever you see Dutch or even maybe sometime a Belgium GP, there's sand. When you go to Spain, France, Germany, basically anywhere in the world, Italy. it's always freaking yeah. Hot, hot. Yeah, Italy hot hot pack tracks in italy you got very few but basically for that you know um a lot of riders always come to come to belgium they like all the top guys basically live in belgium just because we got sand and it just um makes you be so much more fit like for example when you live in france you just ride on concrete tracks you just like you don't really even get tired so um Coming back to your question, yeah, I think as, as a kid we always grew up like riding in the sand, and it, you always had to work so hard because like you're, you you needed a fast bike, but you know I, when I was in eighties, my parents didn't have a lot of money, so I basically was riding on a stock bike. Every freaking bike didn't go forwards. So I I could get my bikes for free from Suzuki, but like there was some some rich kids standing next to me with a kdm or at that time like a honda 150 and they were like freaking tuned and they were like double double as fast as my bike was so i had to really work for that but then yeah once you go to the bigger bikes and you get on a factory bike then it's getting easy you know because then you're finally on the good material and like like when i was on a kid i always had like not the 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 great material especially on the on the sandrax on the hard tracks, you could solve it with your talent and technique, but, like, on sand tracks, you just needed that power, and I never had that power, so that's why I just freaking always was working hard, and, yeah, yeah, to get there.
0: So, is that how it felt, though? Like, you spent most of your life wishing you could go faster than what you actually could?
2: Yeah, but sometimes, like, I even went faster than I, than I could, and I just freaking yachts all the shit out of myself. Like, even on the big bike, sometimes <laughs> I... I was like in a zone, and I went so fast that I felt like I'm going too fast, and then it just like, and done. Season done. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I I had I had those moments. Yeah,
0: yeah. It it makes sense then that that's why you guys because then you you spend your whole life in the sand. And then you take it to even a loamy track or hard pack, I guess it's the advantage isn't there as much because you just don't have the same grip. But when you get a gripped up prep track, then you can just, you, you've you got this technique that almost like lets you carry more momentum. And then now you've got the ground helping you with even more momentum. And it it, it seems like that might be the reason why there's so many great world champions that have come from the sand.
2: Yeah, true. And I, th- I think when you've been living in Holland and you've been growing up just riding in the sand, to adjust to hardpack tracks is way easier than from mm. a French kid who only, only been riding on, on, on concrete French tracks with sometime whenever it rained, perfect grip, perfect lines, to to hop into Lommel when there's freaking bums as, as as big as yourself. And it's just, that's why it, it, it takes for them just ages to, to learn it. Like when you see... Guys like Caroli, it took them like three, four, five years. They've been living in Lomo for like five years or something before they could really start winning in in, mm. in the sand, you know. And um, yeah, I think when you've been born in Holland, it's an advantage because you've been, yeah, you've been um, learning to ride in rain, ride in mud, ride in sand. And that's that's whenever you live in Spain, for example, you barely have any rain. You just ride on concrete tracks, and mm. and that's it. So I think with Holland, with the temperatures and stuff and the rain we have yeah it, it just it's a little bit like florida a little bit of florida dirt like mm. sandy and a lot of rain we have a lot of rain so especially in winter
0: it's uh it's so crazy when you hear stories like uh you remember todd waters that was racing for ice one um for kimmy's yeah. team a, a while ago so he's yeah. one of my best mates we grew up we grew up together um riding and i mean he was like a really good <laughs> sand rider in australia whenever there was a sand round he was one of the one of the dudes that was going to do well and then he's, it's actually a pretty famous clip now on YouTube of him basically saying, Hurlings was 10 seconds a lap faster than me at Lommel. And he was a top GP dude, who got podiums. And like, it's, I find it just so interesting when you can see just how big a difference it is at the top level. And the only thing that's different is what the dirt's made out of that you're riding. You just, you don't see, you're like, 10 seconds in one lap at a pro level is just ridiculous
2: true i've, I've seen the clip it was pretty funny when i saw it but when <laughs> i when i when i go to like a second motor alone. I just take it like a supercross track because I just want to triple my way for a triple, double, double, triple. And when you can see me, like if you would look back the second motors of a up for me, when I would probably win like one and a half minute or a Lommel or things like that, I would just all the way like triple, double, triple, double. And then every time when I, I kind of jump, I, I can breathe while other guys are like like, they probably just freaking hit <laughs> every bump and it just takes so much energy out of you. So... Um, yeah for me it's like really fun because when even because i got a private track just next to my house which is like lommel 2.0 like it's just super rough (laughs) and i'm just yeah i'm just going there for like a freaking supercross track so um yeah and 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 especially late in the second motos when everybody's super tired they'll go like and then they just lose so much time well if you just like just take them as jumps and just double your way through everywhere you just keep so much momentum and you'll I think they go very faster, but yeah.
0: Oh, it's so cool, man. And so can you see so I imagine you just see you're like the uh you're like the OG. You're the the King Dick in the <laughs> sand pit. And then you just see like new guys like a Jed Beaton, He he moves to Europe and he's like, Alright, I'm on a four fifty now, and then you got Todd Waters <laughs> and then you got like the French kids and you just you're seeing all these people come to your sand pit. You probably can just look at them ride and just be like, you suck so bad at this. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, but they got better, man. Like, I remember, like, like when I just entered the GP's, it was different. Like, right now, basically, all the top guys are living in Lommel, so they all know a little bit how to ride sand. Like, if you take a French kit like Renault or the, oh, even Geyser, you know, when I saw Geyser, like, in 2012... Dude, I was laughing at the guy. I saw him right. I think it was a Lommel. I don't even know. I think saying 2012, 2013. I was like, what the fuck are you doing, my man? But now when I see him right, he's fast in the set, man. So the, so those guys, they... they they adjust and like even though they go i don't know if you heard about that place sardinia um so they spend yeah. a lot of time there in the winter so that's actually where the gp was a few few weeks back so all yeah. of those guys they know by now how to ride sand while well, uh, 10 years ago was pretty funny because then when you saw a french guy ride a sand <laughs> i was like you you go get your ass back to my sand, man you just go there you don't belong <laughs> here that's <laughs> my foam <phone> pit <laughs> yeah dude
0: and that's it and that's how it seems and and you know like you just you hear those those classic stories of i mean i've heard so many riders just go to europe and then they come back and then they're just like dude you have to see it like you just have to see this dude on any given practice day ride that track and to me like as a as a motocross fan and as a nerd of the sport that to me is, it's just such like a crazy this one dude at this one track and it's just like got its own myth about it you know
2: the most funny was when rv came over so he came over in 2015 <laughs> and he, he he just knew Tyler retray so my um, my at the time price mechanic which was ruben he he used to work with uh with ricky carmichael and ben downey back in us and then he, he has some connection with villipodo so as villipodo didn't know so many people over here so he we got connected and then, and then um we went to Lamo. So I saw him riding lomo. I even said to my mechanic, is that Villapodo riding, or did he send this mechanic on track? Cause I don't know what the fuck he's doing, <laughs> but he's not he's not fast, man. So I saw I saw Villapodo on that, on, on Lomo. And I even got videos I I should have sent you. But he, he got better quickly, but he was like, Villapodo was the guy, you know? And, and to me, I I yeah. like I was a super fan. Like he was always on, on the rear fender freaking opening that thing like 450. And then I saw him a lomo and <laughs> then I think Brobrychev. I think his name was Brobrychev, the Russian guy. I don't know if you ever heard about him. He was freaking passing Villapodo. And he was like on a st- I don't even know what bike he was on. So I was looking like, okay, this guy <laughs> got some work to do. But I think like from an American, uh, then if, you ha- if you've never been into a place like Lommel, and like they probably leave the track all the week from Tuesday to Friday, and then like somewhere in March, like a lot of kids have holiday and whatsoever. So there are all the kids riding and then that track gets heavy like hell. And then the yeah. track is even like for me is like super difficult. And then I saw Veloporta riding. And I was like, Oof. But uh, it was funny, man. It was it, it, it was good. I don't know if you can remember that day, but uh, I surely can. He yeah. one
0: hundred. He one hundred percent remembers that day. I will guarantee it. Uh,
2: wait, I, I I have to send you the videos, man. Like me and him, I was on a two fifty, and he was on a four fifty. But normally, when when you're on a four fifty um like you should be way fast on Lomo because the sand is so demanding and it was rather a little bit rained and he just had problems staying there with me man like i i yeah later i'll definitely send you the video It's was so funny um yeah we had we had, we had a good time he's the, he, anyway yeah, i hope sick. he doesn't get pissed at me but he's, he, he's still my man Villapodo is, is the man
0: nah dude i was about to say i think he will piss himself <laughs> laughing when he hears that story but i, I love i love <clears throat> post racing Villapoto that he's just become the coolest guy you know he's one of the guys that when he retired i thought you'd kind of never see him again and he would just be like i'm done with the sport i'm i'm going off into the sunset i made plenty of money like i'm out but he's gotten cooler after his racing career than when he was the four-time in a row supercross like champion you know and i think it's so rad that people nowadays can recognize that we don't want them to leave the sport like when you retire we don't want you to retire and just and dip and I think Carmichael did a good job of that he stayed in the sport and he does so much for it and now like Stewie's come back with his podcast RV is still in the sport Chad's doing his thing it's sort of cool to me now to see guys quit racing but not leave the sport
2: yeah, I think it's good, but I think the US is even more intense than racing in Europe. Like, we basically start in, in March, we finish in October, and then we got, like, three months off, but the US, pff, like, I even heard Eli Tomek say in his interview, like, physically, but especially mentally, is so tough to make, like, yeah. 18 Supercross straight, make 12 nationals, basically have, like, before they barely even had time off, because it was Monster Cup, but now, have, apparently, I think Monster Cup's not there anymore, I don't know, but they have a little bit of time off, and then... Go back preparing for Supercross, so I think with with the U.S. schedule is really tough, and I could really understand why Philip Botto quit on such a young age. Same with Carmichael; um, they made a lot of money, they won like so many championships in a short amount of time, and I can basically understand. But it's good that they they stay in the sport because the sport needs ambassadors like them, and I think it's really good that that they stay around, you know. So um, yeah, yeah, I think it's a good thing, like you said.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. I can't wait to see those videos. Um, you said before, like, <laughs> you you uh, and Kenny were kind of like the bubbers of, of Europe. I definitely think that you're 100% the bubba of sand and the bubba of... Probably the bubba of Europe. But 100%, like, you're the dude in sand that's, like, the craziest motherfucker that's ever done it. And... To the to me, I look. I love technique, and I love watching people ride and analyzing people that ride. It's just such a g- cool part of the sport to me. But I can imagine that you can see like Bubba Bubba scrub level of shit in the sand, or and you probably know things that you're doing that other people aren't doing. That's like a a different level. But just because we we don't even see it the same way as you, like we probably don't understand. So is there any technique sort of things that you think that like people just don't even know the level that you're playing at when it comes to riding those tracks?
2: Yeah, like I said, like whenever I... I'm, I just get a smile on my face. Like people, when they go to Lomo GP and then they know second moto, they're like, they're already sweating three days before in the bed, like <laughs> second moto, Lomo. I don't want to be there. But like me, I'm going like, yeah, boys, it's going to be second moto. That's time to shine. So I enjoy going there because I know i really enjoy it and the more rough it gets i can really work on my technique like on 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 the hard tracks you know you just can go fast and you can go fast and basically everyone can do that shit but when you go over to to running deep deep seriously deep sand you need to have some kind of a skill which not a lot of people have and as i grew up like when i was six years old i was riding those rough tracks when i was 10 years old i was riding those rough tracks so that's where you made a difference you know the same like with 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 euros going over to america with supercross you know when because we 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 would only start riding supercross like at 15 or 16 well in u.s it would start way earlier and that's why they have that advantage over european guys and um i think that's the same thing with with me and in in the sand and um yeah i think riding sand isn't difficult you just have to kind of understand how it works and um yeah, you just have to do it a lot and even race a lot. Because when you practice in the sand, it's different. When you start racing, it's, uh, it's different than, than, than practice, you know?
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense too. So if you, if you, like, let's say you've got a guy that comes over to Europe, right? Or let, let's even say Villapoto, Like, before Villapoto went out on the track, <laughs> he comes up to you and he's like, Hey, bro, I know I'm going to suck at this, but I am a good rider. Can you explain (laughs) how to go fast in sand to me, please, to help me not look like an idiot?
2: The first thing I would recommend to Villapoto when he, he showed up, he freaking had a Pala <laughs> Raceway bike with him. His bike was like a freaking shopper, and then he wanted to go right around Lommel with his front suspension like a freaking I don't know what he put in there, man. It didn't even move. So I think at <laughs> the beginning he was a little bit struggling with his with his with his his bike setup. I would think because he he came really American style, you know, American tracks, wide open, fast then yeah, you come to europe you're back. like Bruh, brruh, brruh. Yeah, So also the the hard tracks like when you go to arco for example the e-race there when he when he wheeled out you know that track's like sketchy it's hard super hard and then you know the, the the tracks are different but coming back to your question yeah like philip potter he was the guy in supercross i would tell him like hey man this is your unlimited supercross track It just whoops everywhere just freaking jump there around like um yeah, but it, it's not like, it, it, it's so easy, you know, it, it's easy to say like, hey, you have to jump and do this, do that, jump into the turn and sometimes wheel tap and triple and whatsoever, but it's not that easy because if it would be that easy, like every kind Maybe of everyone would do it. idiot yeah. would, would know would know how to do it. Yeah. So it's it just recommends a lot of uh, training and desire and heart to even, it's like a super cross track, like you would crash and then you have to go back up and try again and try again and try again and that's yeah you know it it just takes some takes some time you know and you have to make the right setup for the suspension you know it's 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 you need a bit of a harder suspension like when you go to hot track you, you or supercross it's completely different for sand you need a very specific kind of setup to to be good at the sand. so that takes a little bit of time to require as well and different gearing as well so yeah it just takes takes a bit of time to it's not like I can say in one sentence, you have to do this and this and then this, and you'll win a GP. Yeah. You know? it, 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 takes some, it takes some time.
0: Yeah, oh, I bet. Um, and so one thing I've been kind of um, watching a little bit, especially in the AMA stuff, man, I don't know if you watch, I don't know if you're a Moto Nerd, like you're watching all the clips and all the races and stuff, but shout out to Tom at uh, Team Fried slash Racer X for the summer. Those, have you been watching those uncut 450 uh, motos that they've been posting?
2: I haven't watched that, but I did watch every single moto like in US, uh, 250, 450. I watched every single moto in Europe. So um, I haven't watched the one you just just said, but I did watch every single moto.
0: Yeah, sick. Well, so Tom's been just doing these uncut, So it's the entire moto, but it's just him walking around the track. And I it, it's probably better than watching the broadcast. And you can just see the technique that the guys are doing. And I actually think that at your top level, the technique has been evolving quite a lot. And I feel like the Euro guys are probably uh, pretty like there was a time where you could say maybe the US guys were the ones that like had the best technique or whatever but now i feel like it's kind of there's just a crazy high global standard that you guys are all riding at and i think the euros are giving a lot of technique to the americans as much as the americans are kind of giving technique to the euros but i mean you see now like standing up keeping your feet on the pegs and then there's so many times where I've like paused watching Sexton or Roxton or Tomac in these clips and there's just like they're just death grip there's no brakes there's no clutch it just seems like it's just all about like really good throttle control and carrying so much momentum it's just not the brake and clutch like steer on the rear wheel that it kind of was in Villapoto and Ricky and and Bubba's day um, I don't know if you got any thoughts around that First
2: thing, well, I think is that the U.S. guys are faster again this year. Like, I think over the last two, three, four years, I don't know exactly when, but I think the Euros were faster. But when I see the outdoors today and I see the GPs, um, I truly believe the American guys got faster again. I think as well as the tracks they allow you to go fast, like when I saw Hangtown, when I saw... Uh, Fox Raceway mm. um, and stuff like that. That that those tracks really allow you to go fast. And I watched Tschentschenthal the 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 MGP last weekend. That track looked gnarly, hard, sketchy. So, but still, I believe like when I saw the pace of of Anderson in 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 that moto and hang down first moto, and when I saw Tomek when he was going fast second moto. I yeah. think the Europeans wouldn't have had anything to that speed right now. Um, but yeah, I truly believe that the style has changed, the bikes has changed. Um, like, like at the time when Baba was racing and especially before that when Ricky was racing, um, the ele- they didn't have so much to do with electronics and map switches and mappings and stuff like that. Then it was really like true power from the engine and just like, your boys just go send it. Well, now there's so much electronical <laughs> shit on the bikes and um, yeah, the, the things have just changed. And, and, and at those times, you truly had like one or two bikes was really better. But today you can win on a KTM, you can win on a Honda, you can win on a Kawi on so the bikes are so competitive the teams are so competitive while back in those days it was way less competition it was just like at one point it was just ricky basically winning everything then at one point it was yeah. ricky chad and james and then after that you got like half a minute no one well now chase could win um roxson could win Tomek can win anderson can win uh, there's so many guys who can win like even cooper okay he's not racing outdoors but uh there's plenty of guys who can win on all different manufacturers so i think throughout the time things has changed and also the style has changed like when ricky was racing he was so super aggressive on that on that clutch he would probably burn a clutch every time he went out so um yeah yeah you know things things have changed a bit
0: how, and how do you think about technique these days not just in the sand but just in general like what's the what's the um Oh, I guess, like, what are you trying to think about the most when you're riding to, like, really get the most out of, you like, the most speed out of yourself?
2: Like, I truly believe they shouldn't make the bike faster, faster anymore. You need a super, super fast bike for the start, especially in, in the MEGP series because um, in, in in America, you got the, the tracks are so wide and so grippy and so many lines, already, you could really pass basically anywhere. While in Europe, when you go to most of those tracks, you can barely pass because it's just got one line. So you need a super fast bike for the start. And the tracks, they're still running the same tracks in Europe where they were running like freaking 30 years ago when the bike had half of the power. So to me, I believe there's so many injuries because the bikes are just so super fast while the tracks, they're still like 30 years ago. So the bikes kept developing, but the tracks didn't. So um, sometimes I believe that the bikes are too fast for the tracks. In Europe, I don't believe in America because I believe the American tracks are more safe. They're more wide. They're they are, which I believe I think they're a bit they're better because they have way more space. Um, but so yeah, you know I think uh, once again a lot a lot of things has changed and and the style has changed and um, I think the the technique on the bike just kept developing and still developing every single year because everybody wants to have the best bike and better suspension more power whatsoever more usable power and you could also see on on supercross you know like the the tracks are cuz the stadium is just as big as this but the bikes keep going yeah. faster 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 and i think in the times when when baba was racing one to 125 and 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 on a, the two stroke days they could really do something cuz they didn't have so much power they could really like do triple 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 all other guys were doing double 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 just cuz of the lack of power but now everybody yeah. has so much power it's so difficult to make up ground you know and to do something special because i don't know if you remember the, the days when baba was pulling out some quads on a 125 oh, yeah. and you could you could just do that because he was so much better but today everybody just does the same thing because everybody has a, a lot of power and 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 you cannot do anything special anymore so that's why i think right now if you could see there's so much injuries while in the past it was way less yeah way less mm. injuries because also the bikes were just 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 slower you know
0: yeah yeah definitely so there's probably some good stuff I guess to talk about here just like with topics recently but I didn't know as much and maybe you guys are running a, a bit of different stuff in Europe because you guys actually have unlimited factory bikes but do you think that we're starting to get into the territory where there's too much electronics because so I know like Casey Stoner he would always say I wish there was no electronics in MotoGP because it's It's crazy in that sport what they can do. But do you think, like, at your factory level, do you think teams are really starting to try and introduce electronics in, like, the way that MotoGP, it's, like, sort of went into MotoGP the way it did?
2: Yeah, like, when we're testing in the winter, they can just, like, a few horsepower away just by changing the ACU box, you know? They can, whether just, like, putting my bike on a computer and probably works the same with a Honda or Kawasaki or Yamaha, with the ACU, you just put a computer on there, it's like a like a video game they just put the power wherever they want and you just have way more power way less power and and things like that so that's just how it works and you could see with with formula one it's just Mm -hmm. the the the, the rider isn't super important it's all about the car and it's the same with moto gp a bit and it, it also motocross gets into that direction you know there's so much electronics um on the bike and it's it's getting so much more important, um, which is also a good thing because it, it shows the sport is developing. But
1: mm.
2: I, I believe in motorsport, it's still the rider who makes a difference. It's not like in Formula One that you need to be in that kind of car to be able to win. Yeah. But yeah, it just makes you as a privateer, as a privateer, you cannot work up to those factory teams because if you're not on a factory ride, you don't have the basically don't have the options to to get that material and to get that product. So um, yeah, you know, like back in the day, you could even win with a with a basically with a stock two fifty two stroke and just mm. work a bit on the cylinder and make it a bit faster, and you could basically win. But now there's so much electronics involved and and, and people involved. And uh, back in the day, you just had one race mechanic. That's it. Now you have a mapping mm. guy, you have this guy, you have that guy. So um, yeah, things things have changed. I don't know if it's positive. I wouldn't say it's negative. It just uh, yeah. the
0: times are changing um yeah so so when i had jed on here and he was he pretty much said the same thing he's like dude the bikes are just so fast and i i wonder why like or is it maybe it's even a thing where like why don't you just have this just ridiculous bike for the start and then basically as soon as you've got through that first turn or maybe the first four laps or something you've got the option where you click it and then it just detunes the thing and you just go into just like moto mode like would that be too hard to adapt to and that's why you don't do it because it sounds like you have the technology there to do it or are you, or are you kind of like worried that you'd be giving away the advantage to the other riders
2: Nah, to be honest i got that mode like i got that mode that is it's, it's full power for start and then once you go yeah, when I, once I, I don't know, if like a few seconds or minutes, whatever, I don't know exactly what it is, but then it just, uh, the power will uh, be less. Um, but still, you got that hardware, you know, you got that cylinder, you got yeah. whole, the, the, the yeah. engine is, has been set up. So you, with the HU you, you can do that much, you know. If you want to do more, you have to go to a slower engine, you know, and then work from there. So, yeah, but still, you know, I... I it's not as easy as it looks. I mean, yeah, we, we, we got that option. Probably all teams, top teams will have the option to have like a stop mapping. And then once you shift to third or after 30 seconds, after releasing the clutch, it will, it will kind of go, I don't know exactly. Every bike will probably be different, but, um, but still, then yeah, the power will will reduce to 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 less. But still, you got the hardware of the engine, and still, even yeah, if the yeah. if the power reduces, it's still like freaking an airplane, you know. So, um, yeah. and then you're coming yeah. back to the American tracks and European tracks. Like on American tracks, you could really handle it. Like I've seen the last three races, full grip, fast, plenty of lines. And then you get to the European tracks. Like if you, I don't know if you've seen MGP last weekend. Like the the, the last motor was like super super slick, super hard. It's always crazy there. Yeah, basically just one line, everybody trying to follow, uh, couldn't really pass. So that's why on, on European tracks, you you need that for the start, but then at the same time for racing, in America, you can use that power, but in, in Europe, it's it's hard to use it because it's just the, the tracks are different, you know?
0: Yeah, no, you, you're so right. And it, it does, I mean, it's kind of almost a criticism of the US at times because the tracks are just so similar. But, I mean, it's been really impressive the last four weeks just watching. Like you said, there's so many fast guys. Like, shout out Christian Craig, dude. You know, even him on a 450 has been, he's been a beast. Like, there's so many guys that in that 450 class that have just been absolutely sending it. The bikes are fast as fuck. The tracks are fast as fuck. And it's been really cool to watch. And no big crashes, you know.
2: No, I think it, it relies again to the track because the tracks are really safe, you know. And I think yeah, the four fifty uh, outdoors are really nice to watch. I've been watching every single motor and I, and I love it because I think Chase Chase is really fast. Um, I can't believe he crashed last lap, man. He he got that thing, you know. He could have won. That was a that was a rookie mistake. I would I would think, but he, he he's super fast to me. Until now, he's been he's been the fastest guy around and. Um, especially the first, the first, uh, two motos at Fox raceway, he was just really dominating. And then, uh, and hang he was twice, he was like, like, uh, behind Jason just within a second, I think on, on, on the, on the yeah. finish line, same with Eli. And then last weekend he had this thing, um, in his back pocket, but he, uh, he just stepped over and, uh, um, yeah, that was, that was a kind of a silly mistake, but at the same time, I think if you look at the championship until now, you know, you're we're 25% in three out of 12 uh, rounds. Uh, has been done I think for now Chase has been um, the most consistent and I think the fastest uh, but Eli like when Eli is on a roll oof I don't want to race this guy when, he, when 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 he's when he's on a roll this yeah. guy is on a roll and then he's fast man then then there's no one in the world who probably can match his speed uh, at least I, I don't think I, I'm, I'm able to do it when he's on a roll but you know his off days are like sometimes are too much off like his off day in Fox Raceway mm. um that's he lost too much points but then the second motor and hang down when he just close in close in close in, closes in he just passes me like he puts some laps down you're like dude this dude is fast man and i remember also yeah. in the kawi days when he was right, racing dungeon and a supercross and he would came from 10th to 9th to 8th he would charge all the way to the to first and then he would just yeah this dude could can be super fast man baba was fast but eli Tomek on a good day woof.
0: Dude, 2015 Eli Tomac. Remember those when he just won every moto by like a minute and a half until he crashed at Colorado. His last year on the oh, Honda. Oh, when he
2: yarsled, he he freaking yourself both his shoulders popped out and he's like, shoulders. Season over. Yeah, yeah. I remember you, dude. He, he was like hanging so that. That's why Donji. Yeah, but that's why Donji won so many championships because he was just always consistent. Like. At that time, like now, there's like five, six, seven guys who can win. But at that time, it was like two or three guys. It was Kenny, it was Eli, and that yeah. was basically it at the time. So, but still, when Eli was on a roll, he was super fast. But Ryan was always there, like second, third, second, third, win, and just because of that, he won, he won the championship. Because like when he was f- facing Velibota, which was consistent and fast, he could never really do it. But like he was always more consistent than Kenny, and that's why he won a 15. That's why he won a 16. And 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 yeah and then he won a 17 again just by being being consistent in supercross and then he basically never really had any major injuries so that's something very impressive in this sport especially racing supercross plus yeah. uh, outdoors to I don't know what he has he maybe broke his back once like I think it wasn't yeah, um, Colorado. Colorado as well and then and yeah. then he broke his collarbone once well I believe but for the rest I, f- I, I don't even know if he ever had any injuries so for racing 10 years on a professional level that's pretty impressive
0: Dude, yeah, um, I completely agree. Man, Ando has impressed the shit out of me outdoors this year. I mean, for all that I talk about technique and just, like, how good Chase looks and just how perfect that guy can be on a bike, I will admit it was really cool to just watch an absolute dog chase him down in that, in that first moto at Hangtown. He had a six-second lead, and it's like you watch Chase ride – picture perfect just hitting every single mark and then you've just got this dude on a cowie with both legs off doing the splits just full send mode and then he runs you down and then wins the moto i mean when i watched that moto again um you could see that ando had way better lines like there were some lines that he was making like once he figured out his lines he just ate that six seconds up but it was so cool to watch a guy with legs off and just fully sending it to the moon past the perfect technique guy and win the moto. Like it just gave hope to all the senders out there, you know?
2: Yeah, true. And I, I remember because I was watching that moto and I was already knowing. I I already knew where he was gonna pass him, and at at the same time I knew where he was, he was taking that time. It was like a little double into the turn before a right hander, and Chase was like single, mm-hmm. single, and he went right. And this he got I, I yeah. don't know exactly which part of the track it was, but I don't know if you remember. And he would really take like a second, and then you went up right there, so he was super fast. And then right, and yet like a little uphill double turn left, and then go yeah. down. So that so there he he took a lot of time to chase, but yeah, I, I love his time, man. I, I I I he raced an awesome. It was the miracles of nation. Yeah he had a tough time there man i don't know where he finished but i remember him <laughs> being down a few times but i love his style man like he's always like on the back of the fender ripping that thing is his jersey hanging out of his pants like Wah! but i love um yeah i love his style and and the way he writes and i think on supercross he finished really strong like i think he won the last four main events or something four, so yeah, he yeah. um yeah so yeah i, I love i love the way he he the way he is, the way he's on Instagram and stuff, he's like like <clears throat> with the attitude like I don't give a fuck, you know, you know that kind of attitude. Yeah, so yeah. I love to see it and and then he just posts some shit sometimes and he doesn't even care like when Basha took him out or stuff, like he's like, Oh whatever, it doesn't matter. And he's, he's he's a he's a tough guy on the track as well, 'cause he's not he's not a bam bam kind of rider, but he's not scared to give you a little love but, tap yeah. as well. So I I love watching him ride and yeah, he's clean and he's fast. And I love his, his style. So uh yeah, he's 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 cool.
0: So, while we're, while we're just full AMA bench racing, which is pretty rad, by the way. Yeah. Uh, what do you make of uh, of your boy, Kenny? Because it's been an up and down few years. I'm so happy to see him get an overall. And, I mean, I think he's been the second best dude in the series behind Chase. But what do you make of his struggles over the last few years? And what do you think about, I guess, the way that he's kind of like, he pulled out of supercross and then it's like no Instagram and then it's back on it. Like, what do you make of just the whole program?
2: Like, his opening laps, they're pretty gnarly. Like, he always... Well, he was basically behind Caroli because he always holds shot it. But then um, he was behind Tony, he passed him, and then his opening lap is freaking insane. Like, he would pull like, four-second lead or something. He did that in, in Hangtown, second moto, and then he did the same thing in, in, in Lakewood, Colorado. Like, he would pull like, a few seconds in the first lap. So his, his opening lap is really strong, and um, his starts are good. Um, but he, since he had that like I've had a lot of injuries as well so I know in kind of which position he's in every injury is different but he's not the same Kenny as it was the Kenny before his crash like when he was on the Suzuki days and when he just turned to Honda he was so fast like um, he won his first first two main events and he looked so good and you can see after his crash with his arms he got a bit scared I think which is totally normal And he almost lost one of his arms so um, I think with that injury he should be thankful and happy to be still racing and you can just see he doesn't take that amount of risk what he used to before that, I believe. Because I rarely see can he make a big crash. Like he would never like what I remember that after his, his his crash with his arms in 2017. Um I've never really seen him make any big crashes. Well the one with Webb where he broke his hand again. But it wasn't even a big mm. crash. But after that, like in the last three years, I can't remember he had any big crashes. So I think he's just playing it safe. Um and it, it it's really his is a little bit inconsistent. Like, like last year, he would like win a race by 10-15 seconds. And next race he would finish eighth. So I don't really understand where, where that's coming from. But still, to me, Kenny is the most talented rider out there. Um, you can see he's a bit limited with his with his position on the bike due to his arm injuries. But he definitely he's a little bit like Baba and like me, I believe. Like he hasn't won enough championship to his capability because I think he yeah. should have won minimum one or two supercross championships for 50 and he should have won way more. And I I spoke to him a little bit in, in the past few months and I know he's been struggling with with a sickness. Um, maybe that came to all the surgeries he's had. I think he had like 10 surgeries on his arm in, in that mm. period when, when he had that arm problem. So I believe, you know, due to all those injuries and, and, and pain he had and, and, uh, medicines you had to take you know it, it's not good for your body so i think that has something to do with it and then being in, in in motocross which has uh 30 races a year you would travel all around the country all the time it's just super super tough on your body anyway and then to do it with a body which is not 100 anymore yeah. due, due to that arm injury i think it's really tough and i think you know he, he took that summer off and he got his his kid um i think yeah you don't get a kid every like 10 times a life. Yeah. So I think it's something you should really enjoy. So, I've, and, and 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 with his results not being in, in, at top at that time, I think maybe it was a good decision. But then to pull out a Supercross due to his health, it was it was tough because I think he's in his contract year. So, um, you know, especially with Honda, you know, Chase, he's being, he, he basically took over his role, you know, uh, for the moment. I yeah. I am don't know how, how, how those are going to turn out, but Chase is a bit the guy to beat right now. Then you have those two Lawrence brothers. They're all on Honda. So they basically have a lot of top guys are Honda um the yeah you know I think Kenny's on a pretty high salary so um so he because he was used to be the winning guy and he was paid to basically win and now you got so many guys who are able to maybe take over his wall it, it's definitely not easy mentally because he has the pressure now he, he kind of needs to perform so yeah you know um he's in a he's in a tough spot you know he's uh, so talented so good and just the results hasn't shown it; it's shown his full potential, I think, due to all the health issues and whatsoever. Yeah. So I'm really curious how to, this thing will turn out and what his future is gonna 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 bring. Like and wh- whatever bike he's gonna be racing. Maybe you know, but um, yeah, that's that's something. Yeah, looking forward to.
0: Yeah. I mean, I actually don't know where, where he's going, but, um, or, you know, if he stays at Honda, but I think that's probably the thing that people don't really remember is that we're just so lucky to have Ken Roxon still racing. I mean, he's still, if you talk about the superstars of the sport that are active and racing right now, he is one of the top five superstars in the sport and we almost lost him. Like he, he almost never raced a bike again. And I guess, you know, it's so like right now you're like, man, I wonder where he's going to end up. And he pulled out with this and he pulled out with that. But it's like at the end of the day, we're just still lucky that the dude actually is racing with that injury that he got. And I guess it goes to show almost how good he is that everyone still expects him to win after having this crazy, crazy, injury that almost cost his entire career so it's almost like he's so gifted that he creates these questions uh about his future and about his results and you know when when you just step back and look you're like wow we're just so lucky this dude's even racing
2: yeah true because that was like a career ending crash basically you know it could have been a career ending crash and it took him a year to recover from that and maybe even longer but he was he was out out of competition for a year so um we should be so lucky to still have him. Like you can see on Instagram, I think he's the most followed rider on on internet, like on, on social media mm, kind probably. of. You know he, he he's he's so hyped up and and everybody kind of loves him in Europe and I think the same in, in in America. So he's a he's a big factor for our sport and it would be sad to to miss a guy like him. You know he brings so much back to the sport and 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 like you said, like everybody's like, oh, Roxanne isn't winning, dude. This guy should freaking. <sighs> Pray in in church the church. Every single week. really still got both his arms. You know, he should. He he was meant to maybe not even ride anymore. So for him to be riding and to, to still be winning main events when outdoors is like a god's miracle. Yeah. And you can see how talented and how gifted he is. So for me, I can understand. You know, like I I don't see many riders who which have had that injury would come back this way. So for me, yeah, like I mentioned before, he's what well, I believe the most talented rider in the u.s right now and you can see the way he can ride a bike sometimes how he scrubs how he whips his technique with his foot like he would go for turns like both feet on the pegs and just yeah 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 he's he's just gifted and talented that's all i can say about him and uh, i hope for him he, he still wins a lot of races and hopefully one day he wins the supercross championship because that's i know it's been his dream and um yeah he, ha- he didn't achieve it yet so hopefully you know, his age is not um, getting any younger anymore, so hopefully he can still get a championship at Supercross because that's the, the the main goal when you go to U.S., so hopefully he can achieve it. And, uh, yeah, for the rest, I wish him, all, wish him all the best.
0: It's one thing that I've always been impressed by with you is that it seems like no matter how bad your injury is or how long you're out for it just does not matter when you get back on the bike i mean i think you could probably argue that you have three or four rounds where you're struggling to just get the race fitness back but in terms of your ability to just be a fucking animal like that just it just never seems for an injury to take that away from you and i don't know why that is it's all it's got to be just mental
2: yeah it's all mental like now i i seen this as a break like i was always rushing to get back to racing and now KTM basically has said, like, okay, take the year off and and come back next year and come back winning and winning ways. So I could have come came back in May, um, but then I decided to get away with the team to because I had an injury in, in 2019 where I shut up my foot and I, I still needed another surgery, but I never really had the time to do it. And then I had a plate on the left side where I broke my heel in, in a photo shoot crash, stupid me, in January. So I had to get <laughs> that plate removed because it was bothering. So now I think it it. It really. Uh, I took this one as a break because right now I I'm not really training or anything at all. I just take this as a break to really have a few more good years coming. Um, I'm 27 right now and I would like to race for like three four more years. And, um, you know I I've I've won five world world titles. I've I've lost a few when I was really really close to them uh, due to injury. But like I think uh, the the injuries are really mental um, at times because like like my right food uh, I was always it was always bothering it was always painful so when then you're going back to Kenny when it's maybe limit uh, because of it you're limited in your riding then it's not only mental anymore because then also the body stops you and I had a little bit of feeling that it was stopping mm. me so now I hope um, it's going to be all solved and as a racer you always get pushed kind of like hey you have to come back because hey we're paying you you know you need to win you need to perform you need to race that's just I think that's how it goes, you know, because the team, the teams don't—they don't want you to sit at home, which is normal, because they're basically paying you to go out there racing. And um, like this year, I just—I just took took time for myself. Like, okay, okay I'm gonna get a fix, I'm gonna get healed up. And next year is gonna be my contract year too, because uh, it's my currently my my last year with KDM. And um, yeah, it's gonna be a very important year, especially with this year being off. And everybody knows what I'm capable of, because if you could see the last years, so whenever I was there. And when I raced the full series, mm-hmm. I basically won the championship. So um and the writers they know it. I know it. And and um but yeah, my problem is to just finish finish a year. And I think I made I made a lot of crashes just by being dumb. Like like this photo shoot crash which wasn't focused, like blah 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 rip it and then like yeah. big crash just because i wasn't focused same in 2019 so the last two major injuries i had they were just unlocking and just because i was dumb and just not focused i never really had like big injuries while i was in competition or whatsoever but mm. it seems like i've been made out of glass man when i touch the ground i freaking break a bone so uh um yes the the injuries are tough in our sport and um yeah it's part of it
0: what what do you think mentally though what I guess have you had any injuries that have been really hard to come back from like the crash was really scary or it could have been I mean there, you had that crash where you, you had your neck or your back and it's like have you had some crashes that were mentally really hard to come back to and you just found a way to push your way through it or have you always just naturally been like once it's done you are just able to put it in the back of your mind and then you're able to be the fastest dude in the world again. Cause that seems like now, it'd be when a when
2: it's done, yeah, it definitely is a challenge. But when it's done, it's done. And like that neck thing, I, I was paralyzed for like an hour. And it's like they put the freaking electric back in the, in the wall. Like whoosh, everything started working again. You know, like like I really? did that feeling. And then yeah, it was so crazy. Like I no. crashed. It, it wasn't Faenza. Warm up, and then I jumped. My 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 leg came off, and then I hit my head in the ground. And I did like a front flip, but my neck uh basically was stuck in the mud so mm. i broke one vertebra in my neck i think it was c1 which is the most dangerous one because if you really break it bad you will be like paralyzed from your chin downwards so at that point oh. i didn't have feeling for my chin downwards and um but it was like a very very small crack but it just from the the impact it got it just got like uh like kind of a shockwave whatever it's called like um so i didn't have feeling for a while and then like after like I don't know, half an hour, one hour. It's like they, like, like I just mentioned, like they put the electricity back on, like everything started working. And I, I, even the day after, I didn't have any pain because it was just like a, like they could barely see it on the scan, like a small, small crack in it. But then, yeah, the doctor said, okay, like, hey, don't start riding with this thing because I could basically ride the next weekend if I really wanted to. But, you know, if I would crush it again and it would, yeah, yeah no. you don't want to be messing around with something in your neck, man. No. Then that's not worth it. So um, so I decided, okay, because then it wasn't the corona time. They had like three races, like Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday, week off, Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday. So, like basically six weeks later, then the season was up anyway. So um, uh, we decided to sit out that year. Um, but for the rest, I never had like, even with, with the foot, both of my feet, which are got badly injured, uh, because for the rest, I didn't have so many injuries, but uh, both of them the crashes were really silly and really stupid like i yeah, yeah you've seen probably my photo shoot crash um just went over the bars and just landed on my feet and then i was actually straight walking up and i was like there's the terrorist. and then i was like okay i get a plane fly back home and actually wasn't too bad And then you come up like oh shit my heel is kind of exploded so um um yeah i never really had major major big crashes but you know for me once it's done it's done and I know when you're racing dirt bikes, you know, the risk, you know, the risk of, you can, it sounds really hard. What I'm going to say right now, but you know, the risk, you can die. You know, the risk you can get paralyzed. You've seen a lot of riders got paralyzed. Unfortunately, you know, the risk of breaking bones. And it's basically every single weekend somewhere out there, you know, (laughs) <laughs> you're breaking bones like in the US or in Europe you know you see oh this guy broke his collarbone this guy broke his femur this guy broke this so you know the risk of racing dirt bikes you know if not I should have played in, I don't know on a on a guitar or something then I know nothing would have happened but <laughs> I know the, the risk of it so um, now nah, I'm well aware and for me when it's done it's done try to heal up and come back and I don't plan on racing another 10 more years you know I, I want to do 3-4 more and I'm done <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, obviously, well, I know that you're just a guy that's obsessed with motocross too. You know, I mean, you can even hear like, you know, everything about every rider you've, you're watching everything. I know that you're an all in guy when it comes to training and what you demand of the team. And, uh, it, it's like motocross is your life. You're one of those guys where, and, and not, I guess motocross in terms of it, even as a hobby or fun or whatever. It's just like. You're here to win world championships. That's kind of it. And uh, I think that, you know, to keep up that intensity your entire life and then deal with the injuries and then, you know, everything that else go, goes along with it, it's just not a thing you can do into your 40s.
2: No, definitely. That's why I think, you know, I'm 27 now, so I'm be 28, 29, 30, 31. So that's, I think in Europe, that's a nice age. I think in US it's been pretty nice because they used to stop at 26, 27. Now they're going into the 30s almost. Like Jason, he's almost getting thirty. Musken was like thirty-two. Eli's getting into the thirties almost. So, um I think it's good that they extend that their their careers a bit in the U.S. too, and in Europe normally they extend a bit even longer. So, I think racing till the early thirties is is nice. And at one point, you know, you want to have kids, and you want to the life changes. You know, when you're sixteen, you're just all out war. Like just go out riding, riding, riding. Even if you if they would have sent me for three months to Spain in the winter, I wouldn't care. But now you're like, okay, you want to be home a bit more and you want to think about different things. And due to the age, things change and also the risk. You know, when you were 16, I didn't see any risk. Now sometimes like, okay, shut down the gas because it's enough, you (laughs) know. So I think that comes with age. Like when you go to Supercross, when you see like the 16 years old, they would just send it, you know. And then you see guys like Eli, Kenny, Jason, they have so much experience, they have so many injuries. They're a bit more like... we just do our thing and keep us safe and things like that so um yeah i think in europe early 30s then it's been a good day
0: yeah it's been a good run um when you were saying before that you just the, the couple times you've just lost that little bit of focus why do you think it it is because i mean is it the fact that you're spending so long on a bike like you were just on a motorcycle you in no injury time is probably you're on a bike more than maybe any other rider. And do you just think that it's easy for you to get, like, lose a bit of focus because you're just on the thing so, so often?
2: Yeah, basically, the crash out had Spain just because I wasn't focused, because I was, it was my sixth day straight on a bike, because we were, we were testing, or I was, at least I was riding, like, Thursday. No, it was Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We were testing a bit, I believe. Then on Saturday, Sunday, I made a Spanish championship, for whatever reason I did that one. And then on the Monday, we had a photo shoot. So it was my sixth day. I got some blisters. We came back from the race like 12 in the night the day before. We expected it to be nine at the photo shoot. So I had a short night of sleep. We're still tired. had to get all the shit together for that photo shoot. Yeah. just wasn't focused. And it, I don't blame anyone. I just blame myself because I knew that photo shoot was on that Monday. But I decided to go race somewhere in the middle of Spain and, and, and things like that. Just... You know, when I'm on, I'm on. When I'm off, I'm off. So, and and I think that's also because I've been, uh, like you can see in the results, like I've been winning so much. or Either I I wasn't there. So, um, yeah. you know, I, I I was really extreme in, in training as well. Like, ill like now I'm a little bit chubby. I'm not. Well, I don't I don't give a shit. But when I'm on, I'm on. <laughs> you know, then like I'm super super lean. I'm um, I'm then I'm I'm yeah I'm, I'm ready to send it. So. Um, yeah maybe because i've been writing so much cuz like even between races i would always write tuesday, wednesday, thursday and then race on yeah. the weekend and maybe that's been too much and it's something what i like now i've been sitting on the couch and been you know uh, i'm trying to to heal up from the surgeries i've had and um and just healing and then you consider like hey maybe if i write less it will be maybe better you know and have more productive time instead of be just yeah. like now we just went to the tracks like okay yeah we went to ride today but was it productive? I don't know. Just blast out two motos, but do the same thing in twenty four hours, and do the same thing in another twenty four hours. And then we go to the race. And sometimes I even showed up at the race, like I was just tired. I was like, if I knew, like, and like end of last season when I was battling for the championship, if I would just see guys who are fervent training, I even would call them and get like, hey, get here with the bike. Like they're riding, I need to be riding, you know. So like, if I knew they would have done two motos, I would have gone on. I would have done three, and. And that's basically why Tim has won this championships like in, in 18 and in 21 when I was there. He didn't win. And he just won in 19 and, and even in 20, I was leading after six rounds. I was leading by 60 points. But he just won because I, I, I cleaned myself out and I cleaned myself out again this year. So like if you look to all the championships we've raced, he never beat me straight up in a championship. In 2015, he won a championship. I was leading by 150 points. Until I I I, I, I you know I took myself out of the championship and it was the same in in, in twenty seventeen, you know, I missed oh, I did the first four races, but it just broke my hand like seven days before the first opening round. So the first four races really sucked, but I, I lost the championship due to myself. So always I lose kind of the championship. I cleaning myself out and that's pretty frustrating. And um yeah, and, and knowing I just got five championship. Well I should have had way more, but it should have, could have, would have, you know, it doesn't make any sense. But um it's something to to consider for the future as 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 my ages click into yeah. and I, I know I just have a few more attempts I don't have 10 attempts left so I know there will be only very few so uh yeah we'll see
0: you gotta yeah you gotta win the ones that you're there for
2: i w- I won the ones I was there but I'm not there or, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah like I, I think the last 10 years I won five championship and lost five so I think the average is like 50 yeah. percent so could have gone better have well, gone worse.
0: No. <laughs> When uh, when I spoke to Searle on the podcast, he uh, and I actually think this is really great advice for just life in general, but Searle said that one of the things he learned from Tony was that Tony was always fine with putting the bike down and putting the tools down and disconnecting from motocross and being really confident in himself that he did what he specifically needed to do to be the best. And what you're describing is, is that old school dog championship mentality where it's Mm -hmm. I'm going to win every championship by outworking everybody. And you're right, man. Like when you say this is, it's actually the thing that I love about you is you just say it exactly how it is. Like you, it's, it sounds cocky, but then at the same time, it's like, well, it's a completely factual statement. So I don't know how Mm -hmm. this is cocky if it's bang on the money. True. So, you know, you, what you're describing in a sense is that, you know, you just wanted to bury these dudes. And when you were there, you did. But that attitude that lets you bury those guys often, it was either you buried them or you buried you. But either way, someone was getting buried and you see a guy like Tony and he's won 10 championships and he just would go on the lake in, in Italy and would go out on the boat for the afternoon. And and what you said of, calling a mechanic because you saw someone else riding tony's literally the exact opposite of that and it's just but then again it's like can you even do that because this is your personality like this is who you are you're the dude that's gonna bury everybody
2: yeah true and it actually is pretty funny you know like like you said like half of the times i bury myself and half times i bury the competition but um yeah, he it's true. Like I I remember Tony, like sometimes I was there like in summertime. Sometimes it gets hot and all. And I was like I remember that day I was riding here in like deep, deep sand, like really rough, and I just came off the bike like like completely done, like like Florida humidity, hot, just blasted out with two motors, and then I opened my phone and I see freaking Cataroli sitting on his yacht or boat or whatever he was on on, on the freaking lake with his chick with some friends, seeing some whatever he had on the boat kind of drinks Now I was just like the water was on my face and I was like what the fuck you know and then <laughs> but still he he did he did what worked for him you know and I think it did work because yeah. he won nine championships and for some reason he, he made it work like he was so different like he would even be on a GP like sometime on Thursday night and I would like just fly there as late as I could so I could put in the work even the days before and like even when the second moto was done, I would have my suitcases ready to fly out already to go home to start training again. While he was like, like really Italian style, like taking it easy, no rush, yeah. just chilling, eating pasta with his with his buddies, and and I was there, oh, on my freaking lean S- Elden Baker kind of salad program. And um, yeah, <laughs> you just everybody makes it work for 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 themselves. And I, I think I got a special way of trying to make it work while Kaiser has his way at really his way and yeah everybody has their own way of of doing it and 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 i think eventually everything is makes or breaks with results because when i was in that program everybody tried to follow then when tony was in that program yeah. and he was winning everybody tried to follow that program like i remember like in 20 from 25 uh 2005 till 2015 or 16 when or 17 when when Every guy was winning the the Supercross series was Elden Baker's program. So everybody tried to copy mm. what Eldon was doing, you know? So you had those 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 trainers in the US. They're like, oh, Eldon does this. We have to do the same thing. So it's and 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 that's just how it works. Everybody tries to do do, do what the winner does, you know?
0: Yeah, no, definitely. Do you, and I that's kind of I guess the uh, I, I think when Cell when said that. I could kind of relate to my own life a little bit when he when he explained the way that, that Tony was because, man, like, I woke up at 5.30 this morning and I've been thinking about work until right now. I mean, even, uh, uh, this is one of the podcasts that I've been the most excited to do in so long. And on my phone, like, knowing you're on the way, I'm, like, going through things that I'm going to do for work tomorrow and it's some. that's why I'm doing good with work or whatever and that's the same reason why you know you have had the results that you have like there's this sort certain like obsessive personality that you can kind of have that it's required in a way to like get to a certain level but then I think that there's probably a point where you go okay I've reached this level and now it's not gonna it it doesn't just keep going up forever like you've kind of got to get to a a spot and then you've got to create some sort of balance and some kind of you know like putting the tools down and being able to go on a boat and then not feeling guilty when you do it and not feeling like you're that voice in your head being like you're gonna lose on the weekend what if tim's riding what if you know so it's really hard to get that balance and you know, to hear the way that Tony went about that career, I'm kind of like, damn, well, maybe I should try and apply some of that to my own life in a way. I think everybody can. Yeah, in a way. Tr-
2: yeah, true. And I think, you know, you just need to be passionate about what you do. Cause if you, if you just go into your job and do it, cause it's your job and you do it for the money, you will not get out of it. What you want to get out of it. Like every day when I went to training and when I went to cycling, like it wouldn't have mattered if I, if I would have cycled one, mile an hour slower i wonder if i changed the result on the weekend but i would try to go as fast as i could just because i was passionate about it I, I i wanted to train hard i wanted to win and i think you know you should always go through your work just like you said just because you have a lot of passion for it and just enjoy doing it and you want to do it and and the top guys in each sport like they're not money Driven for sure, money is a motivation in a in a in a particular particular way. But for example, uh, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, he's thirty seven years of age. He doesn't need to play football because he needs that money. He can buy yeah. everything he wants in yeah. the world, basically. So he does it because he's passionate about vo- uh, football and he wants to do it. And and same with me with r- racing dirt bikes. And I think same with a guy like Eli Tomac. He's made enough money. He just wanted like apparently like he went to Yamaha because he just felt that that was a good change for him to to win that Supercross Championship. And and he said in an interview, I don't know if you heard about it, he said like apparently he signed for less than he could have gone with Kawasaki. I don't mm. know if it's true. I just read an article. I don't even know if, if he really said it or not. I just read it somewhere on the internet. But it just shows you he doesn't care about that money. He just wants to win. And if he thinks being on that uh, Star Racing Yamaha project um, to give him an advantage to make him be better on the bike and being better on the weekends that's just because his passion for winning it's not for the money so yeah. and i'm in the same way like i don't i just want to win and and whatever it takes I'm, I'm willing to do it and sometimes i just get too passionate about it and i just yeah like you said i'm burying myself
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah well i mean it, it's uh it's one of the things too that kind of sticks in in my mind uh from a book i read it's called atomic habits and so he basically said that you shouldn't care about your goals, you should only care about your processes. And he used the eight hundred meter final at the Olympic sprinting as the example. You've got the best eight people in the world, and they've all got the same goal of winning an Olympic gold medal, but only one of them does it. So the goal actually doesn't matter. It's the the way that you approach the processes and the everyday and like what you just said about cycling. You could go one mile an hour slower, but that ain't gonna get you the you know the gold medal in the final at the end of it because it's the it's not the guy that wants to win the world championship that wins the world championship. Like Tim wanted to win the world championship the year that you won it, but you obviously just did something else differently that kind of like let you do it. And I think so many people in like their everyday life they get focused on the goal instead of the process like what's going to get you to win that in your case it's the world championship uh not you know what is your goal
2: not true and i, I totally agree with you on that one like the true winner will always do that little step extra because at that le- like that level you just said when you have the 800 meters uh running like all eight of them they know how to run but the guy who won he yeah. probably just did that little extra what the other guys didn't like that's what I always try to do, and on a level, on a high level, as what we're doing in motocross, everyone has a lot of talent. Like even the guy who finished twenty, he still has a lot of talent. Big time, but massively. Uh, but yeah, like a, a guy like Jed Beaton, he's really talented as well. You know, there's there's so many guys with a lot of talent, and just um, okay, in motocross, you sure have that little difference, you know. Um, there, there are not uh, 15 Ken Roxas riding around. There's not 15 Jorge Prados riding around. So, but when you have that talent and then you have that work ethic, that's, then you're like, you're there.
0: Mm. But you where need did both that of them. Work you know? ethic. Well, yeah. Where did that come from in you? Because you've just been, like, I just find it so crazy to see a guy like you now at, you know, 27, 28 years of age and just know that you've been grinding for the same thing since you were eight years old. And to to do it that long and to be that much of a savage for that many years, you've just gotta really want that shit. And that's gotta come from somewhere deep, deep inside. Like there's a like you said, you can't be motivated by money or girls or fame or anything and put yourself through the torture that you would have put yourself through in your career.
2: No, true, but I feel I need that work ethic because i sure I'm talented, but I know I do not have the talent of Jorge Prado. I knew I do not have that talent of Ken Roxon maybe even so. Um, but with that hard work ethic, I know I have enough talent to make it work. Like I said, maybe not the talent they have, but with that work ethic on top of it and the desire of how bad I want to win, I feel like I could have made it work. You know, if I, if I would have done less, I don't know if I could make it work, you know, like, um, because those top guys they have a lot of talent but they maybe just do not have that that last bit of desire what I've had or had um, so and the risk what they were willing to take because it's not talent is one thing but you, have, you need to have the desire you need to have the work ethic and you need how much risk do you want to take because sometimes I had to go 110% to stay up with guys and to eventually beat them you know because there were days like I could barely could match that speed but I had to go that speed and to go even beyond to win that race and um so it's 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 a lot of things it's like a puzzle and everything need to collect mm. into each other and and fit you know
0: man that must be a crazy good feeling to know like let's say you're 15 minutes into a moto and then you've got geysers in front of you and you're having to ride at 110 percent just to stick with him but then you end up riding at 110% and then some, and then you pass him and then you win the moto. That, And then to the outside, it would look to me like you've always were going to win that moto. But inside of you, you're sitting there thinking, I have to absolutely take crazy risks just to stay with this guy. And then to actually end up beating him in a moto, that must be insane.
2: Yeah, I can, I can tell you an example. Like I remember in 2018, it was Argentina GP. I don't know if you have seen that second moto, but it was a very like, my stars weren't good at the time. Yeah, me and Tony and yeah i knew this guy was fit but i i seen him like a few days before chilling this that. and i was i went on my freaking bicycle i got like a route near my house which is like 35 k, which is like i don't know 25 miles or something and i would fucking push the shit out of my, on my road bike <laughs> like heartbeat <laughs> like through the roof and i i knew so I, I was like minus 10 seconds with like six minutes to go plus two left. So i was like all right i got 10 minutes and I'm just—I jumped over the finish line, and I saw him in the back. I'm like, "I'm gonna fucking eat you alive, brother! I'm gonna fucking eat you alive!" <laughs> and then I just—I just kept close because I knew, like, when I, then I just remember at the times like when it's so tough, like when I can barely hang on. Like then I remember the times like like you were on the boat, but I was on a freaking road bike or running or whatever I was doing. I'm like, "I'm gonna get you!" So. Then I just went like like I went 110 percent and beyond probably so, and then I just knew like I'm physically super super strong and then I just I just kept nailing them down and, and I passed them on the last lap. I did it often that I really had those last mo, uh, late moto charges, and it also gives you mental rest because then you know like halfway the moto. Okay, when it comes up to the last three four laps, I got that speed, I got that desire, and mainly I got that fitness to still you know pull the trigger when i have to because especially in 2018 tony he would damn always hold shot you know he was the Jorge prado from today you know and i would always come from the middle of the pack and then he always had a big gap and then i had to nail him down close him down and to to make it work but then yeah i I knew i was physically so so strong because i would i i I did a bit of training with ellen but i was even putting in more work i believe because i did like basically three four trainings a day i would wake up get on that road cycle at like 7 30 in the morning till like 9 come back go riding from like 11 till 2 come back um do some swimming training after do some even core stability gym i would literally wake up at 7 and and start from training at 7 in the morning to like 5 in the evening and then do that every tuesday every wednesday every thursday i had to travel on friday so i could just train a bit but then i was tired at times i was like super lean because i would I would just train all day but then I knew when it would come up to the last 10 minutes and especially when it was hot I knew nobody would have anything for me at that time so um, yeah that was that was good and also last year um, often you know on on, on the end you know I think in 2018 I was really really strict like I would train so much last year did a bit less um, but I knew I was always really strong on, on the end of the on the end of the races let's say yeah
0: that's so sick dude it it must just be so cool to like the big dick energy that must be flowing when you get back in the truck especially you beat your teammate you know like and not not want to beat him like in a bad way Uh, but to to walk into that truck big dick energy you just you just buried both your teammates and you know to live in that moment it must be a pretty cool feeling
2: yeah but like beating Antonio Caroli in 2018 is like beating Ricky Carmichael or James Stewart in that prime, you know, because he was still on his prime. So to beat the legendary Antonio Caroli, which has been dominating for the last decade in Europe, that was... Because nobody really ever could have beat him when he was healthy you know like, like he's been winning championships from 20, 2009 till 2017 he won every single one besides two when he got injured so in 2015 and 16 he got injured so nobody really could have beat him so it was the first time and I wanted to beat him when he was still on his all time high because after that you know he got 33 34 30, he's like 36 by now But so it's 4 or 5 years ago he was like still 32, 33 so he was still on his, on his prime so I wanted to beat the dude on his prime and not many people can say that they beat Cairoli on his prime on a regular base, you know. For sure he had races where Clement de Salle beat him and this guy beat him, but never really for a championship. So it was really cool to and also last year when when there was finally a year when everybody was healthy, Favre was there all year, Guys was there all year. I I even missed three motos due to I don't know, the Italian dude jumped on my on my back, can't remember his name, but um oh, and that then was I missed like easy. three motos. Yeah, You saw that one, so yeah, yeah, it was on a cow. He jumped on ah, Monty Sally, that was his name. So he jumped, he jumped on my back, and um, yeah, so even on, on a year like that, with Caroli being there every single weekend, and Prado to really it was a five way championship, and to have won that, that that also means much because normally you never have a season like, like for example, this season, I'm not there. Renault was injured, Favreau was injured, uh, Prado missed a race, so basically, you know, it got handed to guys because he's the only one who. Yeah, Caroli is retired. the is retired. retired Polan is retired. So basically, Geis is the only one who's been doing every single race till now. So it's basically just they hand out the championship to him. But still, I think right now from the current riders who are there, he's still the fastest and the best. But um, last year, there was really truly everyone at every single race. So to win it then, it's it's more special than winning a championship, for example, this year. Because then they will always say, oh, you won that championship because Favre was injured. Oh, you won that championship because Hurlings wasn't there. So... Um, yeah, to win it last year when everyone's
0: was there was, was 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 nice. So when you like you want to talk about that road bike ride where you just want to go out and absolutely mm-hmm. destroy yourself, what are you the kind of guy that's just pumping yourself up the whole time? You're in your head, just basically like talking shit on yourself to make yourself go uh, faster and harder, and or are you very? Zen, like, do you go into a zone where you don't have thoughts and you stop talking to yourself and you just get in the zone and just bash it out? What kind of guy are you like that?
2: I'm the first guy, man. I'm like, pump myself, like, Fuck, gotta win on the weekend, gotta win on the weekend. And then I said, show sure, you know, I don't follow much people. I know exactly what they're doing, man. I know everything. Like I just mentioned the year you know, like about the U.S. races here, but I know exactly what's happening. I know exactly what they're doing. I got my eyes everywhere, my man. So, um, yeah, <laughs> I knew. I, uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, you know, I'm just pulling myself up, like, and then I, I just get pissed off. I see those guys being on a boat or doing, eating burgers. And I'm like, I can't even, if I look at that burger, I'm getting two kilos. So, I need a, I need a salad. I need carrots. I need, I, I'm like a bunny, you know what I mean? So, I need to really <laughs> look at everything I really do. And then it just, I'm like, I'm going to go out. I'm like you know and then but then like three times a day you know and then it's 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 mentally tough so i remember 2018 when 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 i really did it the ellen baker kind of program 2.0 and maybe even more extreme like when that season was done after like nine months of it i was cooked like i just laid in the sofa yeah. a month to really recover from that but if you look at that year i want set um i i broke my collarbone so i missed one race i was out for like 10 days or something but um i i won 17 out of the 19 races i got twice second so I, to have a season where you basically are on a every single round and you win 17 out of 19 out of them it's yeah it's it's yeah it's that's not gangsta. happened much you know that's gangster <laughs> yeah. stuff <laughs> yeah
0: yeah that's like that's like evitz caroli you basically like maybe i don't not I even. even think
2: they've I think just Evers had it, but I think, I don't even know if there's ever been a rider who won more than 17 MXGPs in, in, in one year. I don't know if it's ever someone have done it, but um, yeah, that's just Evers kind of style. But truly, at, at when Evers was racing, I don't want to be cocky right now, but I don't believe the competition was as high as it's been the last mm. decade, let's say, because at that time, it, it's like Ricky's time, you know, Ricky was racing, and then it was no one coming like for a while until then then chad and 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 james were there and then it got more and more but like at at some years when ricky was racing like in in, oh two for example when jeremy just kind of retired and didn't race much it was just ricky and it
0: was ricky and and like Tortelli had a couple good motos
2: yeah but then it was stefan and it was stefan because then Tortelli Mm. dislocated his hip in, in 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 Portugal. i remember so it was just it was just Stefan, you know, and then Josh Coppins. I probably know this Kiwi. Yeah, he he yeah, popped boy. up his shoulder or something, so he uh, he didn't race all year basically. And then he when he came back, he beat at Stefan for, uh, in in Ireland or something, I believe. But um, yeah, yeah, it's been uh, yeah. I think the competition nowadays are stronger as well as in the US as in yeah. Europe. The field is more stacked than it was back in in those days
0: yeah i completely agree man and uh it, talking about the tommy Searle podcast again um we were talking about the euro goat and we were kind of going back and forwards between caroli and Evitts. i mean you might have an opinion like wh- is caroli the euro goat for for you or i mean are you are you the euro goat for you like who's the euro goat <laughs>
2: For me, Caroli, even though he didn't, he just, I think he got 94 GP wins while Stefan has 101 and uh, 10 against 9 championships. But the guys Caroli had to face or the guys Stefan had to face, to me, Caroli's guys were more rough, like more tough. Like, he had to face so many heavy hitters, like Porcel with the beginning. Uh, He had to face me, he had to face... Uh, okay, he had some easy years. Like, I believe this 2010, 11, 12, 13, 14. Those years were pretty easily... He just was racing was that against when he was on the 350. which... Yeah, when he was on the 350. Um, at that time, I believe it was his most easy years. But still, he had to face some, some, some tough guys. And I truly believe he's been maybe a more complete, better rider. Because at the time Stefan was racing, he could just do two classes in one day i don't know if you remember the day he was in Mm. france he won like three he did like 250 450 and 650 so he won like three races on one day yeah we we cannot do six motos on one day you know what i mean so uh there's there's only two classes by now and and um yeah so things have changed throughout the years and i believe tony is a little bit better but at the same time you know stefan has been great he he he's done uh, and achieved great things in the sport and um, but yeah, once again, I think Tony is, is, an inch better.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that was probably, um, that was, I think that was pretty much Tommy's argument as well is just so much competition and through errors, you know, so many bike changes and so many the way that, you know, the tracks, like, well, I guess the tracks were the same in Europe, but there was just a really big progress over those years. But then I look at videos of Stefan ride, and he's doing the foot on the pegs, the on your toes, like the way that he was riding a bike was he was riding the modern technique just a lot slower because the competition wasn't pushing him forwards, you know?
2: Yeah, true. And I, I believe the bikes got so much better. Like when Stefan was racing, it's been 16 years oh, ago. Those bikes would have been so, so shit. <laughs> Those yummy, like it's been that was like, uh, you know, army tank, you know, the bikes uh, back in the day, and (laughs) then right now, things have developed so much and have changed so much, so it's hard, like, um, to really compete with each other, but uh, yeah, you know, uh, like Tommy also mentioned, like, like, like in the eras Tony's been racing, a lot of guys been coming and going, coming and going, but also Stefan did great things, he even. Beat the Baba at his prime in medley that 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 yeah. nations. Yeah. Um, so the way he passed Baba around the outside was, you know, Baba was 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 the guy. Um, I don't think Baba really liked that track. You know, it wasn't really American kind of track at that day. Okay, there was a lot of <laughs> jumps, but the lines and the rods and yeah. he didn't enjoy his time there, I believe. But um, yeah, I believe Ricky. He beat it, Stefan every time out, basically. Um, I remember that time at Foxhole when Stefan won, but that was like a big mud fest. But like the last times when it was in Zola, 2003, and NA, 2005, he always had the better of, of, of Stefan. So I believe in the era of, let's say, 1998 and, and 2006, I think Ricky has been the fastest guy at that time worldwide. Um, but um, yeah, I think... If you ask me who has been even a better rider, Ricky or 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 Stefan, I would I would say from that era, Ricky, because he was he was so fun to look at. Like like Stefan was really boring, yeah. standing up, feet on the back, nothing. When he would jump, he would go like rah, like old school, sky high, <laughs> while Ricky was like on it, uh risky trolling and bike like sideways, opening and and really aggressive riding style. So I believe Ricky yeah he was that guy from that era you know
0: yeah that's cool man uh so i want to go back to the the mindset stuff um because i just i you've got like from just meeting you in 2013 or whatever it was i just it, it left an impression of me and just in terms of like i don't want this to come across the wrong way but like your ego Like you've got a fucking gnarly ego and everyone has an ego. So it's not like, I'm not saying like you're the only person that has an ego. We all do. You have a gnarly fucking ego and you're just down to just, you want to win and you're down to do what it takes. And there's a certain level of confidence. Like to wake up every day and be Jeffrey Hurlings would be gnarly. Like you've got to get up, like you said, you're doing these five or, well, you know, like seven hour training sessions, basically you're risking your life going insane speeds on some of the roughest motocross tracks in the world. You're riding more than anybody else. So just to be you, you've got to be very different. And I think as a part of that comes this like ego that you've got and this persona that you've got, what do you even think about it much, or is it you're just you and you're just doing what you think you've got to do to be the best guy in the world.
2: Yeah. Like I got a different mindset than many of them. I'm I'm different in many different ways. Like me, I don't enjoy going to a race on Thursday. I don't enjoy hanging around. I don't enjoy doing interviews. I don't enjoy doing photo shoots. I'm just going there with one thing. I want to freaking win. I'm here to win. I'm not here to be the cool yeah. guy. I'm not here to be a friendly guy. I'm just here to do my thing, go home and come back next week and do the same thing over again. Which okay, is for a yeah, brand, like I've changed, yeah, I've believe. changed, <laughs> mainly get the win, you know, that's, that's, that's even more important. Me. <laughs> yeah. But at, at the same time, you know, for a brand, it's not always been the best, you know, because um, a lot of guys got good rides and good paychecks just because they've been not the top guy because they were just running around fifth, but they've been a good ambassador. And that's, I think throughout the years I've changed but especially at the beginning I was just a cocky dick man like when I was like in 2012 or 2013 I was winning but nobody really wanted to work with me because I was not really speaking to anyone pretty arrogant and I've changed throughout the years I got way different Um, and yeah you know uh, everybody has his own way of handling things and but still you know I always say the monkey never changed so for sure I I do the other parts But at the same time, I'm just here to win, you know. I I don't like all the things coming around. I just like to win and train and do whatever I need to do to achieve my goal. And I don't really like the side projects, you know. I I just want to do what I need to do to win. And that that stays me. And um, I've been very thankful with KTM because they really, basically, throughout the years, I've been there since 2009, so it's been uh, 13 years. And they basically just give me the freedom to do, whatever i wanted to do if i wanted to go train there or i want to do any races besides gps i could do basically whatever i want to do so they've been very open and very supportive and they've been really good to me in in whatever decision i've made and they've been in tough and bad and good times with me like we've won a lot of championships together but we also have a lot of issues together in a way of what i did like i don't know if you remember that time when i um, started shouting in front of live tv in 2012 i think in portugal when when oh, did, Tommy yeah. Searle his buddy Mel Peacock his <laughs> buddy Mel Paycock like <laughs> I, I, last time it was like a there was a big rod and he just stands still and I fucking he uh me me on the outside and and yeah i made some big chaos and 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 the week before i i was with um um Hunter Lauren's current girlfriend i believe uh, at that time so yeah. it's like 10 years ago by now and i cleaned out our brother so it's actually my brother-in-law at the time so I, I freaking cleaned the shit out of this guy he was out uh. of the track <laughs> so a big fight there so um yeah and for all of that like getting always had my back so they you know we've been in a lot of good and bad times together and um luckily i made the results work often that's been my luck Yeah, um, yeah. but yeah it's <laughs> yeah i got some good stories yeah
0: I, and that's the thing, like, uh, and I guess I've always looked at this through a different lens because I just met you and that it was that, you know, kind of had that experience of that weekend. So, like, I could see that you're a cool, nice guy, but you were just one track mind obsessed with winning and you were going to do whatever it took to win no matter what. And it's like, you just kind of have to accept if that's what a guy's there for, then that's what he's there for. And I'm really good friends with Casey Stoner. And that was him in MotoGP and he got a lot of the same criticisms that, you know, like he didn't like to do interviews, he didn't want to talk to media and people called him this and that, but they just didn't understand him and him as a person. Like even now, he's not stoked to be taking pictures with people, he's not, that's just not his personality and I think a lot of times, especially when you're in a sport Uh, in a sporting environment and you're a public figure and people look up to you and you've got these endorsement deals, the sport wants you to be this darling champion and they want you to be this perfect guy. But man, some people, it just doesn't line up with who they are. And, uh, and I just think that you're one of those guys. And to me, it's almost a shame because I think you've got a lot of shit for it in a way. And that's probably why you don't do interviews. It's probably why you're closed off. Like it's, it's, there's two things that are happening there and uh and i think that we've probably lost a lot of good years of listening to like you be a cool funny guy just because of all that
2: yeah true and I, I'm, I'm right now in a position i cannot say anything but or a lot of things but what after my career i definitely want to do an open interview one day and, and speak about all the things what have happened you know like i said once again i don't really want to get into this deeply now because like i'm and endorsed for many yeah. companies for a long time and i can't really say much but after my career though i would really do like a kind of open book to really say everything was has been happening for the last 15 years from from left to right from up to down so but um i think you know for a brand like to have a like like tony and uh, from europe and, and and ryan dungy from the u.s they were like the Perfect ambassadors. They were always friendly, always good, always working on the on the interviews. They were there, like one day up front doing all those media sessions, things like that. So, actually, for a brand, those were the perfect guys, you know. Um, never any criticism, never any criticism about the manufacturer they were racing for, and yeah. Then you had some other guys, like like for example, Baba. You know, he was one time in police because, I don't know, with that thing on his a, on a car. And so that gave him a yeah, bit yeah, of yeah. bad publicity, which I, I reckon is super funny. But, you know, Same. for a brand, <laughs> it's like, 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 it's not good to have your rider barely out of custody or whatever he was in for. And then just have him yeah. I don't know if you remember that story in 2011. But yeah, I do, so yeah, yeah, yeah. and 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 um yeah, so but that, that also makes it interesting, you know, um, and. Yeah and and okay like then you talk about a guy like jason lawrence he was next level man i've i've read an article about him like recently i think that's a bit too much maybe but yeah that that's also like to have some badass figures in the sport that's also been nice
0: hey do you want to take a quick jason lawrence sidebar yeah we can (laughs) all right so he dm'd me the other day i haven't i haven't spoke about it publicly he DM'd me and said you can spread the word that I will be racing a national this year on a gas gas sponsored by Armour Energy. I need Honestly, to just really? I'll pull up the DM. Bro, seriously, I'll I'll just <laughs> double check. I, I wanna get I wanna get my facts right. He told me that I can uh, <laughs> that I can say this and I just completely forgot about it up until now. Alright. Um all right, all right, I'll read this word for word. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let it brew for a few days so I can iron out the details, and then after the um, after the after I agree to the terms, I'll tip you off again. I'm pretty sure Gas Gas 450, Armor and Pro Taper sponsored under TLD Team. At this time, sopovic will be making a little news release which will validate Gypsy Tail's claims. Boom! Can you imagine Ooh. watching? jason lawrence at one round of the nationals this year on a gas gas 450.
2: that's amazing man like i i, I watched a video some also some american dude like had said like um maybe you know who, who uh published it. it was like he did like the the 10 writers who really oh. wasted their careers due to bullshit. i don't know I who made it, but, it is it
0: so, good is it good
2: that well that then at one point there was Jason Lawrence coming through and then I think it was in his video and they were saying like, Oh yeah, he got to jail for this and then he smoked weed or cocaine cocaine or whatever he did. I don't I can even I don't know if I, I say it exactly right, but that all the shit he'd been going through and then he had the problem with the team and then he was in jail and he wasn't this and he wasn't that so I was like I was looking at you. I was like oh my god this this dude is fucking insane. So I really enjoyed I enjoyed watching him and then I see when he when he fighted with Villapoto, like hang down off camera he just <laughs> launched his bike or I think Villapoto launched the bike to him they were started yeah. started like fighting and, and, and shit like that. So that was actually really funny <laughs> to watch watch and, and and what he said sometime in his post race interview and he and the way he was talking like he was yeah it's just insane <laughs> yeah dude he,
0: he's the man i i actually t- i talked to him a little bit i um i like sponsored him some um i sent him some cash to get to day in the dirt and stuff i just i like the guy. <laughs> i think he's fucking cool and uh i believe I think that i believe yeah no 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 go
2: uh, I, I believe Ryan Dungey, when he starts sweating, man, when he knows he's going to be on the gate, Ryan Dungey starts sweating.
0: <laughs> yeah, dude. So I, I I think that that's probably what inspired him a little bit to maybe try Like I know he's, all, he rides all the time. Like he just rides every day and uh, he just lives up at this sand track in, uh, in like new fucking wherever that he lives. And uh, he just rides sand like all day, every day. And he still, you know, loves bikes and he still super follows the sport. But I mean, he's probably the most extreme example, like kind of what I'm talking to you about in, in the way that the sport has probably given you a little bit of shit over the years for like the way that you deal with the media and the way that you deal with stuff. But in my mind, well, Jason Lawrence is probably the most extreme example of it. But I'm like, I've always enjoyed the dumb shit that you do. Like it gives me something to talk about. It gives me something to think of. Like you know, and I know that you're just, you're just this wild dude that only gives a fuck about winning. And you're just crazy. And you're just gonna do whatever that you've like. You've got to be crazy to do what you do. And then to expect you not to be crazy seems crazy. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I, I I hopefully my reputation isn't as bad as G. Lois's reputation. But it's you got more of those guys. Like you see, you see you see with Christophe Purcell, Like he was so talented. Like to me, Kenny Roxon is talented. Jorge Prado is talented. But Christophe Purcell, next level shit, bro. I saw him right once in the south of France. Dude, this dude, f- insane. Like, I think when he goes to the third, he even shit outs talent, man. He's he's so he's so so talented. So he like Um, same with his brother, actually, because I I did a bit of riding in the of France Mm. with him, but, like, same with them, like, they had so much talent, and barely had any championships, you know what I mean? So, um, but I I don't think he fucked up as bad as, (laughs) as G-Law has.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, dude, how sick would it be to see him ride a 450? Like, that's just... Don't put the camera on anyone else for a whole round. Just film him. Let's all just let's all just watch him because that dude rips. He's got the coolest style. Like, remember the last time he just showed up and raced? What was it? What year was it? I a think Daytona. Was Daytona. I almost, think Daytona. And then yeah,
2: won. Almost one. But then he did. He nine, got second. He, uh, I think so. Yeah. 08 or oh nine. And then he wasn't that uh, Amp Mobile white yeah, yeah. black. Monster yeah. uh, Yamaha, I think. Yeah, it was pretty nice. I haven't, I haven't seen him ever since. I think he, uh, I don't know where, 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 where he's been to, but he's, I haven't, I haven't seen him since. But by now, I think he what age is he? Like thirty-five or something? Thirty-three? No, nah, he's Dungey's age. oh he's Dungey's age? Yes, yeah, so it makes him yeah, like young, 33 probably. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, okay.
0: He's
2: got, yeah, he's coming, he's coming out of retirement. Unfinished business with dunge He's got
0: time. He's yeah. got time. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, that's so good. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I guess that, yeah, that that's kind of one thing that uh, it's one thing that I guess I try and do a little bit differently. Like I don't ever want to criticize guys for mistakes that they made and the way that they dealt with this after race or the way that they did this. Cause it's to go through. Yeah. And I think the same about MMA fighters, like it's not an excuse for shit behavior, But I think sometimes we just expect every single rider to never have a bad day, like to always be Dungey or to always be Corolla. That's just not real life. And I almost don't want to see that. And look, as (laughs) amazing as a champion as Dungey is, there's so many people that would thought he was boring at a time because he never fucking did anything wrong, you know, and and to the average person, like, I fuck up all the time in my life. I'm not perfect in any way, shape, or form. So, it's like, I can't relate to that dude that just never says anything wrong. And, never. like, to me, I think, well, I think that's why people call it boring. Because it's like, that's not real, bro. Like, I fuck up all the time.
2: No, and I, <clears throat> I believe you need a guy like Jason Lawrence. I mean... For me, yes. it's gonna be pretty harsh what I'm gonna tell you, but for me, Justin Barsha is worse because he doesn't make that stupid things in, in the press. He's not on cocaine or whatever that Jason Lawrence on, but he <laughs> cleans the shit out of people. So I prefer some some dude being a little bit dodgy in life, but he's not been cleaning out people. You know, like like I saw some passes what well, what Justin has done to to Malcolm and and that. He, we just went for the Jaguar, man. Like, I think that's, that's, that's not okay. Like, I respect him. Like, I love his, his style and I love the way he is, how aggressive he is and stuff. But from a writer's point of view, like, the injuries are, like, just waiting there uh, because our spot is yeah. so dangerous. Then to do that, like, it's just, like, if you just want to block someone, fair and square, no problem. But, like, sometimes cleaning out people, that's pretty. I I don't know, like I I, I don't know, mm. but he he's not crying when somebody does it back to him, so that's a good thing. Like when they clean Justin out, he's like, all right, fine, doesn't matter. So that's mm. what I respect a lot about him. But like for me, a guy like Jason Lawrence is 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 good even for the sport at times. I believe because it uh, it it has also a bad reputation, hundred percent. But at the same time, when you have a guy like Ryan Dungey, which is so uh so great to be honest, because he doesn't say a thing wrong, not about anything mm. is like you said maybe a bit boring at times because he's just like the perfect son-in-law kind of thing yeah. you know what i mean well well yeah. yeah he just knows it's the opposite side and maybe a little bit too extreme but if some sometimes somebody does something not right like in the mma kind of fights and say some bullshit here and then i think it's not Not a bad thing, because if not, everything just gets so boring. You know, every like, yeah, I want to thank this, want to thank this, blah 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 blah. Was a great day, bye. See you next weekend. You know, that's pretty boring as well. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Yeah. No. No. Definitely, man. And when it when it comes to like, we sort of spoke a little bit about it, but it comes to you know, like not doing interviews and stuff like that. Is it just because you just don't want to deal with the bullshit? Like, is that pretty much what it breaks down to in a guy like your position?
2: Well, often it's about injuries to me, like they just want to speak about yeah you didn't win the championship because of your injury yeah I know like I, I didn't I mm. didn't want to crash my brain because I love doing it I don't like breaking bones because I love <laughs> doing it so they just want to talk about injuries and the injuries and you didn't win because of the injury I'm like I don't even want to do an interview with you like it doesn't bring me any like I love this interview to be honest like I love it because we haven't spoken about injuries basically so it doesn't matter like in this sport you know injuries are involved like from t- t- every top guy had injuries some had a bit more than others that's the way it is. and But you're like really motocross related and you ask good questions. And that's why I probably love people like to be in your show because you you have a lot of good questions. And um, you don't ask dumb questions like, like hey, what do you exactly make for money? Because you know you will never get an answer because you've been in this industry long enough. But you got some dumb journalists asking you this question like, ah oh, what's the bonus if you win a race? None of your business. You will never get an answer. And that then when you want to do interviews with those guys, you don't want to do them you know and then especially if you want to they mm. don't just want to talk about injuries and the, the mistakes you've made you know like this is just an open interview like what me and you are having and you will because you're so much acknowledged about the sport you will not ask those dumb questions probably so um yeah that's just that's just a fun thing like why we could have such a good interview while with others you sometimes just don't want to do the interview because they ask dumb questions and they don't know anything mm. about the sport kind of thing you know what i mean
0: yeah, 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 and I I feel like uh, it's just a bummer. Uh, I appreciate the kind words. I wasn't looking for, <laughs> I wasn't looking for uh, for that. But um, but yeah, I mean, it just to me it's a bummer because it's like when you kind of I feel like everyone's like you in a way, you know. Like everyone, everyone's different. But in terms of I guess the sport and being an athlete, like there's just this whole other side, and you know, I feel like there's so many guys that um you know you've kind of missed seeing their personality a little bit like i mean i'm sure people are gonna see this and just be like it's probably what you saw in ando a little bit you know like you you see an interview and you're like damn he's like the coolest guy and you know there's so much that it kind of stays behind this curtain because you know you go into your race weekend and you know exactly what people are gonna say it's the same drill the same questions the same everything like you kind of can just build a wall up that doesn't show exactly who you are and I think that the more that you put yourself out there then the more room you leave for people to talk about you in a kind of negative way and then I guess that just creates more distractions and so it's like I can see why guys like you just never do interviews and when you do it's like really basic but to me it seems like such a bummer to almost have like most of your career go past and people really don't understand that you're actually just like a fucking legend like the rest of us, you know?
2: <laughs> nah, exactly. And often you got all those appointments on race day or the day before, you know, and then you're like, you don't even want to do them. Like for, for me, like when you want to do it, you, you just, cause of the team, they, they oblige uh, uh, you to basically do the interviews cause it's publicity for the team, which is really good. And it, it's normal. It they want to sense, do some interviews, yeah. but they, it makes sense for them, you know, because sure (laughs) they need advertisement and and that's just not only for and that's for all the manufacturers probably so you just give them like the answer they want like hey uh what are your predictions for the week yeah i want to win okay next question next question but like this it it just it's just like there's a time and a place for everything like now i mean then you just have like an open conversation with a guy like you really knows all the ins and outs about the sport which have nice questions and there's time and places for doing it and for example like you don't want to do this interview, for example, on on uh, on a Friday yeah, night before a season. race, you know, because then you're yeah, super yeah, super yeah. busy and and things like that. But on a time like now, plus you ask like once again really good questions, like and interesting ones. Like same with Jason when he talked about Elden and his move from Kawi to 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 Heskivana. You have so many good questions, which are also for the people who are watching the show it's very interesting because they don't know those things and people who are not Mm. in the sport they will never have the knowledge like you to ask those smart questions you know like those are questions people want to know like how does that go and why did that happen and things like that so but that once again comes back to you being um yeah so passionate about the sport and knowing so many ins and outs you know what i mean
0: Oh, well, no, I appreciate that, bro. Hey, when you when you said uh, you, you talk about KTM, uh, and it's not like this is just not a KTM thing. This is just every team, every motorsport, every sport. Every, like, So the team is over on this side, and they're trying to maximize, like you're an investment to the team, basically. Like they've invested money in you, and then they expect a return on investment, basically, right? And part of yeah. that return on investment is is okay we need media we need socials we need photo shoots we need this we need that and then there's the writer which is on the other side of the coin and then they're like okay well a you paid me to win and then b you you're requesting all of this media and all of these interviews and it might be with there's maybe a dickhead journalist that you don't like that you're forced to talk to because he's the main guy i mean there's definitely that in other countries and it's like There's a balance then between, like, you've got to give a little bit and then, you know, they've got to give a little bit. And, dude, it's so common right now. Like, I mean, I was just at the F1 um, in Barcelona and it was just like, I got to see firsthand the requirements on an F1 driver. It blew my fucking mind. Like, and I've been around a ton of races. I could not believe. Like, how do you even get in a car and do that shit when 20 minutes before, like you've got 20 cameras and you feel like it's a, it's a crazy kind of level. And I think that it's probably happening in a way because social media is still very new and there's all these new ways that teams are trying to maximize. And I think we're just in this crazy wild, wild West time of like, I guess what I'm trying to say is I think this time right now is probably the most a rider will ever get asked of them because i think at times i think it has to scale back a little bit i think the teams maybe have to ask a little bit less of riders on the day or make it more direct and more focused and more controlled in a way because it seems like it's just way too much at times
2: 100 100 like like i think a Formula one it's even next level shit. Like there's so much going on. It's it's all about their social media, you know. Um uh, yeah. but it's 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 broadcasted worldwide, so many TV channels. I, I know I I've seen it from close by. It's really, really way worse than a motocross. But even now, I remember lining up twelve years ago at a GP. That wouldn't they barely had an iPhone, you would just come up do your race that's it now okay make a social video for alpine star make one for ktm factory racing make one for this sponsor make one for that sponsor while at that time it wasn't there so um Mm. but this is just the world we're living in today like like i said before like they didn't have an instagram like probably 15 years ago right now there's everything people are living off their phones you know when you wake up probably you the same you wake up on your phone all right first thing you're going to check our instagram WhatsApp reply mm. to people Well, things have changed well i believe racing 15 years ago was way better because then you really had to pop on the tv and yeah. you could only see the races and if somebody got injured you would know by tv because people would say oh this guy got injured on wednesday on practice now if somebody gets injured on wednesday on practice 30 minutes after you get you open vital mix or you open racer x poof oh um jason anderson brooks yeah. just big toe you know whatever i mean you know so um and then you got three hundred thousand
0: people that can comment like that's the other thing when it was just on the tv yeah there's no keyboard warriors when it was just on the tv
2: yeah so um regarding uh for for getting sponsors it maybe got a bit better because yeah you get like for example for me i can get so much Mm. free shit due to instagram like some people like oh for a post (sighs) i'll give you a this i'll give you that you know and the more followers you get so you get a lot of free stuff and you can maybe get sponsors like like i believe with kenny with i don't know what he has like 1.5 million sponsors uh uh, followers he could like his price just goes up just because of that you know he brings like he gets probably 100k likes on a photo so for fox and for honda and for red bull it's so much advertisement it's also a value you know like you know that's that's a high value thing like at the time when ricky was racing there wasn't an instagram for example so it was just by tv and for people coming to the to the main events and watching them, right. And that's it. So by that, it's also, it's, it has some good things and it has some bad things. So, um, just from a sportive point of view, I think it was better 15 years ago, but from a financial point of view, it's better now because due to all that Mm. social media and advertisement, you can bring along the prices go up and it, it it brings more broadcast and it just that goes better.
0: So what's the, what's the happy medium for you? like obviously because it's not like it's not like you're trying to say i don't want to do any of it it this is all bullshit you understand it and you can probably see it from both sides so like what do you think is the happy medium do that does it need to back off just a little bit and then maybe you have a bit more control of it or like how have you ever thought about the way that it would work best in your mind
2: for me it just gets worse and worse um every single year because everything the social media gets more and more important um but some writers they don't really give a shit too much like i follow eli tomac he barely posts anything he just posts like three days after the <laughs> He's race the like, oh, one, one. And, and then he just <laughs> he, he, i barely he you know do like a photo from oakley with us on a sunglass on a story and that's it and then he just posts this basically like all right that's the Dude, big i bet big he boy. doesn't even know,
0: <laughs> <You> know? <laughs> i bet yeah, he doesn't so even know his he, password to instagram uh,
2: yeah so I I actually like that you know same with Cooper Webb he doesn't post much either but um, but then you've got a guy like Kenny or Cairoli when you open their Instagram there's like 15 stories coming up you know like so it's from a writer's point of view as well like um, because regarding results Eli has won way more than Kenny because Kenny was so much on social media he got like maybe almost yeah. a double of the followers or like like a half a million more which also brings a value to Kenny so it's it just from the writer like you know one writer likes to post a lot and about his private life and whatever he's doing and when he's doing a shit and when he's having a dinner and whatsoever while the other guy like yeah. Eli he barely posts anything so it just yeah it just whatever as a writer you feel comfortable with and whatever you want to share with the world I think
0: is Eli the guy that you can relate to the most, do you think?
2: Yeah, I think we're really similar. Like, he, he to me, as an outsider, I don't know him personally. I never speak with him. But from outside, he just likes to do his job. Like, he just wants to come to the race, race, try to win, and get the fuck back to Colorado, wherever he lives. So while, <laughs> while some other guys, they really enjoy the entire thing, like coming there, traveling there with the family and kid and Having a nice weekend out and do the race and fly home maybe Monday and whatsoever. While, while to me it really seems like like Eli is a bit like me. Train super hard, make sure you're super fit, do the race, and get out. And don't don't be in this wall media thing and and posting all kind of things. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, just through this conversation, it really seems like Eli is a guy that you kind of see a lot of yourself in him and I think it's cool and from just listening to you talk it almost seems like he's had a pretty big influence on on you and maybe you know maybe there's times where you're dominating in Europe and you're the man but you're it seems like there's always one eye over at what he's doing and you're almost comparing your career to him in a sense at times even though you aren't racing each other and it's like different it's it's almost like He's the guy you judge yourself off in a way.
2: Yeah, because like in 2017, he often had like pretty bad starts and then you would take whole shots or whatever. And and he would always eat them alive on the end of the races. And I've been studying so much. And due to that in 2018, I knew, like I was kind of saying, Eli starts his average from his career are not super. Like Kenny starts are really good. For example, Dunji's starts really good. Eli stars his average for the last 10 years are not great so he would always come from middle of the pack or from favor or whatever and then work his way to the front like in the second part of the moto pass them check out win so I've been really studying him a lot and I think um, that was also my goal for 2018 for example to really come in there and I knew my stars weren't as good as Gary because he's like 10 or 15 kilo less he's a better starter than I am and and I really try to be a little bit like Eli and to me I love him because he's just like i like it like not putting all that freaking shit on social media just come out do your thing make sure you win and i'll try to win and go home and not like all the glitter and glamour i don't i don't like that shit
0: man there's a it's a story i've told on here a couple of times but he's the only rider that i've ever filmed you were little when we filmed you're only 19 (laughs) on a lights bike but i remember eli tomac at millville coming down you know the hill the last big downhill that you come down and then you go right yeah. and then you go left and then you've got the jumps and then you're going up the hill. jumps. Yeah, dude, he come, yeah. he come down that last hill and I thought he was going to hit me. That's like, I felt the ground moving and I thought that he'd <laughs> gone off the track and was going to hit me. Nope. That was just him breaking. I could feel the dude coming. Like that's how fucking gnarly <laughs> this guy is on the track. And that just always just never left me, dude.
2: I saw him in um, Kegum's 2014. It was a Motorcross of Nations. It was him, Jeremy Martin, and I think it was Barsha. I'm I'm not not sure who was the third guy. But then he was like... They had a lot of those outside turns. And actually, I'm not sure you should ask him one day when you see him. But I believe he crashed all three of the motors with a start. Like, every single time he had a start, he crashed. Qualifying race and the both motors. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm 99% sure it happened. So, then... They had like a few outside turns. And uh, I believe Paulin, he, he wasn't a Kawi still, Monster Kaui. And he won, he went a 1-1 there. But Tomac, dude, they had some outside, like outside berms. I swear to God, the berm just got scared when Tomac came in. He hit that berm <laughs> so extremely hard. That freaking berm just moved a meter every time he went, every time he went for like, like insane speed. And he went so fast. Like exactly like in 2015, like when he crashed, when he popped up both both shoals in Colorado i think he just was too fast like his speed was yeah. so ridiculous it just it just was just waiting for it to go wrong because he was just faster than the freaking bike and the track could handle him going you know like insane
0: dude i've seen that same shit in you though there's been times where i've been watching you <laughs> ride and and just on on the tv i mean again shout out to tom Janay, but When his last Euro trip video that he did, I I actually made a social clip out of it. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's when me and Tom are doing the podcast and we're talking about you riding. There's this, it's like maybe first lap or second lap. You've got the start and then you come over. Maybe it's like the finished tabletop. I don't know Euro tracks that good, but you come down and then there's like this little single roller on the inside and it's loamy. It's not full sand. And you just jump into this, this, just piece of shit like there's nothing there it's just like this big clump of shit and you are just fucking wide open and you just watch the all the dirt just explode it explodes off your front wheel it explodes off your rear wheel and you just come from like third to first and you just look and go like what the fuck is he up to like how is this okay like what what math is he doing in his brain that makes him think that's gonna work with 40 dudes behind you
2: yeah, but I believe I don't know if you've seen that race a month of it. was like a make or break because I, I really, I don't know, if, I don't know if you really followed the last race of the MGP Championship last year.
0: Oh, I, I struggled to I tried to, but I didn't do that good a job.
2: Uh but like we really uh like that was like a three race to go, I was leading by like one moto and then I had a star crash and they rode over my handlebar, so my handlebar broke or something with the handlebar. So it was equal points. So we left um uh we had like a triple race because of the corona restrictions and then we had to the last two races and um it was like make or break because I didn't win a chance for two years straight. And at one point we went <laughs> there to Montovar, which was the last two races and uh we were equal kind of equal points me Geiser, and favor and yeah yeah that was that was insane but then actually tom coming back to your question like he made some insane shots there because he was there at that race and um yeah. yeah that was insane like going we we went into the last moto with equal points man we had freaking 40 motos and we still had to go into the last moto with equal points with favor that was insane <laughs>
0: Yeah, man, that's crazy, dude. I want to see, I want to see a film collab. So there's a couple things I want to see that come out of this podcast when we're all done, right? I want to see you and Eli Tomac texting each other. I I would just love (laughs) to see you two talk because you two are just cut from the same cloth. You're the Euro version of him; he's the American version of you. So you two need to connect if you've never spoken. And then the other thing that we need to see is we need a team fried and you and Rick collab. That would be some <laughs> like the shots of Tom, that Tom would get a view and Rick would get a view. And if we could throw Ando in that mix, I think that would be, if that can happen from this podcast, I reckon that'd be pretty dope. Cause yeah, that would be some good filmer rider chemistry.
2: I want you to set up, I want you to set up a straight up battle war, mean, Eli on a sand track. Cause I, he's, he's always winning oh. South Rig, right? I, w- I want to yeah. do. It. I want to race him one-to-one, 30-minute moto on a deep oh. sand track. If you know him, you have to Dude, set that we, up. I want to race him. We, ha- race him. we have to do that. Gates, when two would gates, two gates up, it? me against him. When I'm fit. Uh, and just, and how yeah, long? I, I need the, a bit of the, time, but <laughs> yeah, but he's still racing next year too, right? Like even if it's going to be next year, but one day I want to race him one-to-one, no one else on the track, just me against him, man-to-man.
0: All right, bro. Okay, let's take let's let's seriously work this out. I actually think that this can happen. Because you, you, so. like, you always
2: got that shit. Who is faster? Like you always got this shit. Is the hurlings? No, nah, it's stomach. No, stomach will beat herlings The hurlings will beat stomach. All right, let's fix it. We go to even the Southwick. We'll do. We we end the track on a Monday. Leave the track, rough as fuck. Me against him. <laughs> man, to man Dude, I'm, war. I'm, who, who wins that I'm thing? So who wins that in. thing. <laughs> I, I would Let, do that. All right. So anytime. when i'm healthy i'm not healthy right now but when i get healthy we'll do it
0: all right so let's let's actually fully set this up let's make this like an official thing right here all right how i think that i could get some money for this too i think i should i could get like (laughs) a hundred grand i'm not wait i'm not joking i'll get i want to try and get a hundred thousand dollars winner take all (laughs) right (laughs) <laughs> and then we do it. Would, so, would you do it at Southwick, like maybe the day after the national? Like, get it watered, like not prepped, just watered, and prep the start straight, and then go. Uh, so, what, even, so what? So what do we think?
2: Uh, yeah, but like the thing. But then they will say again, our oh, hurling swan because it's a sand track, because he's the king of the sand. So actually, we, need, no, we no, maybe no. need to, to. I don't know. I don't
0: know. Like no, no. I don't know. Like last I've the last race, I beat him.
2: Nah now I know because Eli is fast and like he's not a pussy he's he's mad like but we always like like I've been reading all those when, when there was a rumor I was coming to yeah to US which actually was the plan mm. there was so many keyboard wars oh he's gonna win Tommy's gonna win so okay before he gets into retirement before I get into retirement let's do a one to face to face face off like race whoever wins that straight up is the fastest guy but like no other competition right, so just so- me and him
0: all right so do you remember do you remember when uh do you watch ufc much
2: yeah a bit i love conor mcgregor man i love his his interviews shit talks He's so good (laughs)
0: uh so did you see when uh jorge masvidal and nate diaz did the baddest motherfucker title
2: um probably when i see back the uh, the fight i probably know, as i've seen so many but mostly i just watch because conor mcgregor's his, <laughs> his funny yeah, comments yeah. of all the shit you're saying <laughs> yeah. yeah i feel like
0: you're pro <laughs> i feel like you're the conor mcgregor of motocross and you just don't say the shit publicly have,
2: have, have you seen the conor mcgregor octopus walk when he comes around that 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 yeah. that uh boxing thing <laughs> Yeah. if one day we'll get that thing with Tomac and it, if I win, I'll freaking walk through the pallet like this, man, like like a king. <laughs> Dude, so
0: so they did this title, right? It was Jorge Masvidal and Nate Diaz and they did, it was called the BMF title, so like the baddest motherfucker. So I reckon we call it the fastest motherfucker title or like the fa- yeah, fastest <laughs> motherfucker, fastest man in the world. That, that would be, in my opinion you versus eli 1 versus 1 35 minutes on the same track rough as fuck already rough like not fresh like we're talking this things like nah, national rough. rough there's no yeah there's no arguments on who is the man
2: i, I, I believe you like i i believe that's the only, like cuz if you would do a race like a goes of nations okay that's there's probably like 38 other guys on the gate. Then I'll get a whole shot. Yeah. He'll get a whole shot. I'll, I start 10th and then he'll win. Because I had to pass 9 other riders. And you still don't know who's the fastest guy. Like, I remember in Redbud, like, I think I got first and second. We had my teammate Glenn. But Eli got like I don't know. He got like I don't know, even even know where he finished. But not inside the top three or top five, I believe. But he, he had like second gate pick, so it's Shit start. So it wasn't a fair it wasn't a fair race. Mm. So it like the only time we raced fair and square, um, was an Ironman, um, but yeah, then he crashed but, the first moto. Then yeah,
0: and then he he was kind of like balls deep in a title. He had everything yeah, to so lose. Yeah, so it doesn't count because it was you know that that was the most that was the biggest letdown ever because he couldn't really race you. You know what I mean? Not to say that he would have nah, beat true. you like you rode fucking crazy fast that day, but he's not. They, If he went out and raced you, that's the dumbest thing in the world that he could have ever done.
2: No, exactly. Like, he he tried to race me in the first moto, and then he had a... Like, he had a big crash. Remember, we had, like, like a triple uphill, then straight into a ride. He jumped next to the track into a pile of sand, and he just front flip he crashed or something with his handlebar so second moto i actually had a star crash and I, I i actually came i fl- yeah. flew past him and he didn't even battle me but exactly like you said it was the right thing to do he, he would have been so stupid to start fighting because i was there i had nothing to lose i was just for one one day race like even if I would get injured didn't matter he was there fighting for the championship and then the next weekend yeah then we went like to jacksonville i got a second first he got a first third but the first moto i started like 15th and he took a whole shot. So mm-hmm. yeah, for sure he won. And then second mode, something same happened, similar. And then I won. So we never really had a one-to-one. Like we started first and second, and we would have had a straight up battle. Cause then then the year after in Redbutt, kind of same thing. Like his stars were terrible and he, he he yeah, we never had like a one to one fight. So as long as he's the number one guy in US, let's set up somewhere one day when I'm back healthy. Let's set up a battle.
0: Dude, I'm I'm so in. It'd be it'd be so cool to see as well where you just take everybody else out of the equation. And I mean, have you ever done I I guess you would have never done a race like that where it's just two dudes, one gate drop, you do 35 <laughs> minutes and then just full send. You don't have to deal with you you really wouldn't have to deal with roost. You'd have the whole track to yourselves. Like there'd be no lappers to deal. That would be the dopest shit in the world to watch. <laughs> that would break that would break the internet.
2: That hundred percent will. Um yeah, that 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 will be especially like uh we just have to find the right location to to to, to do so. Uh but we need a rough track. Like when it's a flat track, it's easy. Bobwork and just spin and go fast. Yeah, so we no, need a super rough, rough track and and uh either in europe or either in, in america um and yeah we should go head to hair on uh, head to head on a yeah on a rough track and uh see who come who comes out so uh that's a shame because i really wanted to go to the us this season and i just yeah just barely couldn't make it like i was just two or three weeks too late on the bike like i could only start riding like eight of, eight of may or something i believe or 5th and the race was 28th yeah. of may and I, I when i wanted to go there i didn't ride for three and a half months so I felt like I would not be capable of doing a full 35-minute moto and matching that guy's yeah. speed. And as the championship is so short, like it's just a 12-race series, week in, week out, I wouldn't have been capable of, of fighting for the championship. So that's why I eventually decided not to do it. But my long-term goal is to still have raise race, a uh, full outdoor championship, probably on the last year of my career. Um, it's my goal today. Maybe it will change in the future. Uh further injuries or whatever may happen or uh we'll see by then but you know i i, I felt really bad because i really wanted to do a full series and in the u.s because i i personally believe the competition is super strong and those tracks are much better for me like the european tracks yeah. are so hard and slick and pff, not so fun to ride while the u.s tracks they all look so amazing and the way they prep the tracks they're such a great job and promote across so um yeah, that's why. Also, probably Tony enjoys it so much because the tracks are just, I just yeah. chocolate cake, man.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, because of my relationship with Rick. Shout out to Rick, coolest, uh, coolest Dutchman I know. Uh, he, you know, was sort of saying that he had some. Uh, he, he was like, "Oh, Jeffrey might be close, and it might be happening." And I was like, "Oh man!" As a fan of motocross the world just needs to see you do a full season outdoors. And I mean, could you imagine if you were in this, this particular season with everyone riding as good, as good as they are. And then your level that you'd be bringing, you got Tony in there. I mean, it's already the Jason Lawrence. (laughs) So it's like, it would just be the craziest season.
2: Yeah, for sure. You know, I think that would have been insane, but the fans should have understand like with the reputation I've had to come out from a championship and then to come there being unfit yeah, and unhealthy, yeah. it wouldn't it didn't make sense. So I would have been around I would would be around fifth place. So um I had really had to be fit. Had to have, like minimum six weeks of practice in and I just couldn't make it. And I think eventually I made the right decision to to not do it because also with the temperatures are super super hot while in Europe we're not used to those high lead temperatures. Um weekend in weekend out and then of course to make that trip happen it's not that i just had to come to the race you know, i had to move for like four months to america had to get my ship packed had to do everything so it was yeah. just the the time notice was too too short to make it happen but uh hopefully one day in the future at least we we, we first have to get a one-to-one race with with eli under the belt and after that we'll maybe consider a full championship <laughs>
0: dude I, i'm honestly gonna get a belt made like a ufc championship belt it's just gonna be one of one and it will be just the the coolest trophy at the end of it and honestly i reckon i could get 100 grand for the winner <laughs> mate let's right, let's go let's ahead, let's, man. let's make it a thing let's make it a thing
2: <laughs> it's up to you my man it's up to you but before you get <laughs> everything together it will still take a while so we will still uh i still got some time to prepare oh. <laughs>
0: Oh yeah, no. We're, hey, we're doing this when you're ready and when Eli's ready. This is this is gonna happen when this is like a this is like Floyd Mayweather, Manny Pacquiao right now. It's like the fight that <laughs> everyone wishes could have happened. We'll and you're just like, no, no one's gonna be past their prime. It's just it's gotta be all the right conditions.
2: Are you gonna be on pay per view?
0: <laughs> hey, we might as well, dude. We might as well. All right, <laughs> hey, I'll put maybe live broadcast. Maybe I pay-per-view. put up that. Yeah, maybe I put up the 100 grand and then we sell it on pay-per-view and then the boys get pay-per-view splits. We just do like a full boxing, boxing expedition.
2: Everybody freaking paying interest to see this medal, uh, this yeah, yeah. All right, sounds
0: fun. I'm keen. Uh, so this, uh, talk talking about like maybe doing the, the US and then the GPs, this last GP, not this last GP, the GP before, there was all the riders came together they basically didn't do the Saturday qualifying race. Like you're, You got to sit on the sidelines, so you, uh, you're Switzerland in this one. Uh, but what did you see from that? And I mean, it's funny. Um, I'd actually been hearing a lot of rumblings for the first time, like really serious rumblings of just how over it the GP riders are. And i've never really like that's not i'm not a really deep gp guy you know so for me who's not really in it to start hearing how unhappy gp dudes are and then you have that i guess you could call it almost a protest i mean what did you see as somebody fully on the outside of that situation
2: me as an athlete um i i would like to say many more things but for me that will freaking saturday need to be gone you seen. Thomas Olsen, he's in a freaking coma because of that qualifying heat. Now, Maxime Renault, he broke four vertebras because of that qualifying heat. Why take that extra risk on a Saturday? It means for nothing. Either just do like, like even like in America, great. Just come there in the morning, do a practice, qualifying, two motors, get out of there. Where's all the Saturday for? It just, for me, it's a wasting day. um, Especially as an athlete's kind of you, or either make a time practice. Like you have so many guys like either like having a bike issue or having a small crash or whatever. And then they, 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 they kind of mess up the walls Sunday races. Um, cause they have like last gate pick or almost like, like in us, the, the stars are pretty fair. You know, you can take a good start from basically anywhere, mm. but like in us, like if you seen last weekend, they, they put the gate like this and the first turn there. So if you're not on the inside gate pick, Or within the top five inside gate picks, you'll have a pretty bad start. So, like, that's why... Which is actually pretty good from one side because you have at least had an advantage. Yeah. But they should just make it a time practice because in the qualifying heat, so many things happen. And they say, yeah, but the fans want this and the fans, and they pay the ticket and this and that. I understand. But without Clowns, there's no show at one time. So, there were so many guys already out and so many guys are being injured right now. They should have either just do a time practice. And I believe a lot of riders want that. Like, they're... Most riders, what I know, they wouldn't like to race only on Sunday. Some would like to ride on Saturday too, but they don't really like that qualifying race because so everybody says, like, what's the point of taking forty extra starts? Uh, sorry, twenty extra starts on on twenty races. Extra risk, and it just doesn't make sense. So I believe the same thing for me that Wall Saturday should be should be gone. And I don't know exactly what happened. I hear something about a qualify with a qualifying heat, like it was a lot of mud, and they didn't want to they didn't want to mm. uh, redo the first turn or something, and that's why there was a lot of uh, talk. But I wasn't there, so it's all from what I heard, and I don't know exactly what happened. And then um, apparently somebody from Ustream or in front came up and said like to Geister apparently like hey but yeah, yeah, you guys should run the show those all the spectators are paying to watch to see you ride and then something happened and then Geister and Prado and see what like hey we don't want to race it's too dangerous and, and stuff like that but once again I don't know exactly what has happened that's just the rumors what I, what I got told but um, I think it's good like in, in, in AMA Pro Motocross at least you get paid like if when I won two motos at uh, Ironman uh, Davey Coombs came up to me and gave me five grand like if if any local farmer would come out, raise a GP, you have to freaking pay twelve hundred bucks or something or thousand, mm. I don't know. You win both motors, you get a shake. They shake your hand. It's like thank you. You make no money. So you're so like only the top teams, you get bonus from. But like mm. in in AMA motocross, when you when you qualify yourself, you even get money. And I I think. You know, I don't want to put myself into shit, but like everybody's a bit scared to say something. Like, I think in front does a lot of good things for the sport. Don't get me wrong, they do many, many good things. They're super professional. But at that side, you know, you could see on the gates, like in Argentina, I I I even made a phone and put it on, on Instagram. Like, I think the MX2 had like 15 yeah. riders on the gate. That's yeah. bad, man. Like, I've never seen that an AMA Pro Motocross that's only 15 guys. So even on, on, on European races like Italy, there were like 25 riders on a 40. Gate like f- gate uh, forty gate. So um, I think, yeah, you know, they they should at least pay a little bit to the riders. I mean, not even to the top riders. Like the top guys, like me, mm. Fever Kaiser, we don't need that one thousand euro. But the guy who finished twenty, they need that one thousand to survive, you know, and to get to the next race and things like that. So I believe that could could help and and to take out a bit of risk of not racing that Saturday. That would help. But I'm just talking as an athlete. I'm not talking. Um, if it's going to be better for the sport, yes or no? And for TV rights and whatsoever, I'm just talking pure as a athlete how I would consider it.
0: Yeah. Now, I, and I mean, I understand the position that you're in. Like, it's still like you're going to be limited to kind of what you can say. So, I completely understand. Um, as far as the, there's a couple things for me. I love the sport. Like the the thing that I would like, I first thing that comes to my head when you say I want to race Tomex like all right one of you guys should make a 100 grand like I've I'm so pro athlete I'm so pro rider getting what they deserve to get that's it's to me like you said there ain't no show without clowns unfortunately and at the level that you know these guys are expected to you know to be from like 20th to 40th there should be 40 gates at every at every um, MXGP, like how do you call it a world championship if there's fifteen riders there? Like you, that's a you can't. That's like a select few who can afford to get to this race championship. That's not a world championship. If you really want to call yourself the world championship, you need forty fucking guys in two classes every single race for your world championship, and and for guys to be paying a thousand euro. Per, I think it's around nine hundred. it's around a a thousand euro I'm pretty sure to enter a race like Mm. what the fuck Tom Brady doesn't play pay to play football he gets paid to play football like they understand their relationship like we're so fucking ass backwards when it comes to the way that the sport is run on some levels there's some stuff that the the sport does across the board that's incredible but there's also some areas that are pretty fucking dark and maybe they should get spoken a little bit uh more and i mean that's one of them to to have those riders and uh, like to that few riders on the gate at at any race and it, that's been the talking point this year for me like that's what i'm hearing is basically that like did Lingle you see Foster. the oh we're good uh yeah we're good
2: we're good again you just stop for 20 seconds Oh,
0: okay I'll just double check my mic. So I did,
2: my I, I I I didn't hear the last 20 seconds, sorry.
0: Yes, wait. I'll just check my computer to make sure nothing went wrong. Hang on.
1: Yeah. Oh. Huh? God, how long
2: resonantie, ik snap. Godnieuw lang eh het al een beetje maat. Hij is al 2,5 uur bezig. 2, 2 uur bezig. Het
1: is
0: al dus Sorry, brother um yeah, yeah so really i good. mean for me when there's <laughs> when there's four you know 15 guys on a 40 gate grid there's just problems like there's something that needs to you know if you're fucking whoever runs it you go like whoa okay we've got to figure something out because there's got to be more than 15 dudes that want to crack at being world motocross champion And then as far as the qualifying race thing goes, man, I am so on board with that. Like you, if, if it doesn't feel worth it to the majority of you guys, then like, you probably shouldn't have to do it. I mean, you're right. Like the crashes that happen in MXGP is fucking pretty gnarly. Like you guys are just forced to send it. And you know, there's gotta be an element of rider safety that, that comes into play here a little bit more than what there probably is. And honestly, qualifying races are fucking boring really like i just only ever watch the youtube highlights that are like four minutes long what i would way rather see now tell me if you think this is a good idea let's just do what formula one and MotoGP gp does let's do q3 q2 and q1 and q1 is only so you start let's say you got 40 riders right so 40 riders do q3 so there's a board that you come in and you, so you can go out as Jeffrey Hurlings and you'll throw down a lap time that gets you in the top 20. Because for the first 10 minutes of the qualifying session, you've only got to be in the top 20, right? So you go out mm-hmm. and you throw one heater on the first lap, you're top 20. Then you can pull in and you can chill for that rest of that 10 minutes. You can fuck with your bike. You can do whatever. You can see what other times people are doing. You can see what other lines people are doing. All right, 20 minutes. So then 20 minutes is up or the first 10 minutes is up. Q3 drops away. So the bottom the bottom uh, 20 riders would who aren't in the top 20, they dip out. Then you move into Q2, which is the next 10 minutes. And then you've got to be in the top 10. So you as Jeffrey Hurlings, you go out and you throw down a lap time. And if you get in the top 10, then come back and chill again. Like you're only going to have to do that one lap, right? The next 10 minutes is up. So then the the, uh, the bottom 10 drop away again. So now for 10 minutes, you're left with the top 10 dudes. And then it's basically just a send fest for those guys. And you can play cat and mouse. You can get behind each other. You're not going to have people getting in the, in the lines. And all that is broadcasted. And then that's what we get instead of a qualifying race. And I just think that would be so much more fun to watch. You'd see some dope shit. Like, when you watch the Paris Supercross, uh, like, Bercy, and you see the Super Pole that they do at Bercy, that's my favorite shit of the whole weekend. Because, you know, like, you watching, like, fucking Marvin and Caroli and Geyser and, and, like, Lands had some crazy heaters there. Like, that stuff, to me, is so cool. Like, I get to see you guys do motos on the Sunday. So, I don't, I don't know if that's a good idea for you, but, I mean, to me, as a fan, I would way rather watch that than watch... Just another qualifying race. I'm gonna see two races that actually mean something on Sunday.
2: Two, two hundred percent, my man, two hundred percent. You know why? And when you're riding alone for a heater, you got everything in control because it's just you. You know, when you have a race and you Mm. go into the first turn with so many guys, you always need to have luck that if one guy hits you or whatever and rides over you, you can be injured. You can like when it's just a one lap thing, you got you got it more in control. So I believe what you said, it's, it's the right thing to do. I do believe like in MotoGP and Formula One, you should have a little bit of advantage on the gate. Like Formula One is extreme MotoGP, but like Mm. often in Europe, like last weekend in Germany, when they put a gate a bit like sideways and then have the first one on the left, you do have an advantage because if not, like you have some occasions that for example, like Arco Di Trento track or whatever, um, we had three races last year. Why was that qualifying? Because you could get a whole shot from any gate pick you possibly mm. wanted, you know? So, you should have a little bit of advantage regarding gate pick, but like you said, they should just make a 30-minute uh, uh, time practice. It's just 10 minutes, Q3. If... But yeah, if there's only fifteen riders, there's only a there's already straight a Q one, probably not. Uh, yeah. But Q Q three. But like do a Q one, Q two, Q three from either like fifteen minutes each. Then you have a one hour session. You have like fifteen minutes, five minute break, fifteen minutes, five minute break. So the the, the guys who didn't qualify can get out, start again. Then you have a full one hour program. Uh, for the fans to see it's really like the fastest guy get the best gate pick um, you don't have any yeah. issues with any bike problems or whatsoever because if you if you're leading a qualifying race last weekend in Germany and you have like a flat tire or you have whatever may happen or an engine, engine failure here all the way outside of the gate you, you even mm. if you make a great jump out of the gate you make a Jorge Prado start or Michael Lessie, you're still only twentieth because you're so far out so uh, for me like what you just mentioned is, is, is a great uh, solution and i believe many writers will agree with you and with me um but then the next thing is in front you know what i mean so um mm. and i believe also many manufacturers will support that but yeah it's in front who needs to support this and that's not in my not in my hands and um but what you just say yeah, i believe it's a great idea
0: yeah well and i mean i think it's made better for tv You've got a 10 minute session and then you can go to a five minute commercial break and a 10 minute session and a five minute commercial break and a 10, like it's, it's a great for TV package. And then I'm going to, I'll tell you right now, as a fan, if I can watch you on a track with 10 other, nine other of the best guys in the world and just watch you guys like, get to the the cool games that would happen of like all of you guys before the start like i could see you guys spacing out and just pacing each other and you'd just get this crazy train of 10 dudes that are just a roost length apart that are all trying to absolutely send it i mean that to me that's the best kind of tv and then i think the other cool thing is you you know you've got 15 riders on the gate right well, that's because it's so heavy at the top of the sport. Like the, the people at the top of the sport are the ones getting all of the TV time, which means they're getting all of the sponsors and all of the team support. So it makes sense why that happens, right? But so you're not going to ride much of Q3. So you're going to go out. You're going to probably leave first one off the gate. As soon as that chequered flag goes, uh, the green flag goes, you're probably going to do... The time that's going to get you all the way through to Q one, right? So you're just going to be chilling. Yeah. You're pulling off the track. So then, the 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 top ten dudes are probably going to do that. So then the camera, the guys that are going to be on the heaters are going to be like the David Walsh, the the um, <laughs> the Jed Beatons, you know, like all those all those boys that are like right there, kind of in the thick of it. They're going to be the ones that are on TV for that entire 10 minutes because they're the guys that are trying to put in the, the heat. like, I think that idea actually gives these guys way more opportunity to be on TV. And then you go to your sponsors and you say like, Hey man, like I've, I've been in like on TV Q2 every single race this year for like three laps. Here's my logo, blah, blah, blah. blah. And then, you know, he's the guy on TV. So teams are watching. Like, I just think on so many levels It gives more of an opportunity to kind of like, again, they're not, the sport's not terrible. It's just there's some like big holes right now that could easily be plugged. If someone just had the fucking balls to just do it and just go for one year and just be like, you know what, fuck it. We're dropping the Saturday races for one year. We're going to turn it into a Saturday quality session, blah, blah, do the idea that we're talking about, don't do, do something different, whatever. Just have the fucking balls to just make a change man for one year and see how it goes Look, the Formula 1's changing the rules every three years so that the whole sport gets flipped why Why can't we have some fucking balls like that you know and I just think that it's gonna it, we've got to a point like you've got 15 riders on a gate and then you've got a whole bunch of guys that just don't even want to race like you guys ha- there's a problem so we should try and fix it
2: I am 200% with you but Maybe it's an option for you to speak with the boys up front, but in front, man. Maybe you should give them the idea because it's it's actually a great idea, and I think um, it will only get better. Because, um, like you said, you'll see the race on Saturday, then you'll see the same thing happening on Sunday. But if you, like when like like you said, I went to Paris when I seen James Stewart on the heater, dude, that's yeah. gnarly, man. Like. But like I also like exactly what you said. You don't want to have a time breaks from forty minutes because at one point you don't have control. Because maybe one guy did the second lap of freaking heater. You won't see him for the next thirty minutes. But if you do like three sessions from ten or fifteen minutes, with a five minute break of like almost an hour program, which is good for TV, and mm. then especially that Q three is super interesting when when the top guys are going for heaters and you see like like amazing speed out there and um yeah i believe that's that's a great thing and then having always a start in a position that you have a small advantage compared to the rest mm. i believe it's it's a great idea um so yeah i i hope one day maybe the guys in front will see this podcast or maybe hear it and uh if not you should you should tell them my man <laughs>
0: yeah i don't have anyone's number mate um so <laughs> uh, <laughs> so <laughs> the one uh, one thing i wanted to touch on a little bit as well is you've been like, well, you've been a lifer at KTM since you got off that RM80 that I watched you just destroy the world titles. You've been a lifer at KTM. Um, what's it been like to only have the one brand and only? I mean, I could see it; it would make life so easy to just be on the one bike. But then there's also some challenges that come with that. So has it always been a goal to just stay on one brand? Have you ever come close to signing with a different team? or is you just always been like red bull ktm this is where i'm at
2: nah in the past i was i was definitely in talk with different teams um recently not uh not yet and but next year's my contract year and definitely you know i know it's going to be probably my last two or three year deal um because like next year i'm 28 and then i'll sign for for my age 29 30 31 so that will be my that will be my last contract and you know it's a make or break you know even if i want to stay with ktm that's going to be my last contract and if i want to change next year after next year is the year to do so right now i'm happy with ktm and um they've given me everything i always uh requested for and and uh what was what was possible so i was i'm very happy to have worked with them for 13 years and they uh yeah, they were always there for me. So, but I would not tell you today, like, hey, I'll, I'll never change. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not married to KDM. I'm very happy with them. We have a good re- a professional working relationship. Uh, they do what I expect from them, I do what they expect from me. And yeah, next year, 31st of December, my contract is up, and then I'm basically, you know, I have options to, to, to go somewhere else. But for now, um, it's still far away. But uh, yeah, next year around this time, it will be a heating moment.
0: Yeah, because I can see, Um, I mean, dude, the thing that would make it kind of, again, to talk about Tomac, is like you look over the fence and you go, "Ah, oh, fuck, he did it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> he was so dialed at Cowie and looked, I mean, he, he won so many races, he won so many championships and then he kind of saw something and went, all right, that's what I want to get. I think that there was probably... Uh, an element of wanting to go a certain direction with the bike wanting to have a little bit more freedom that uh, he didn't get so I mean I don't think you have that issue uh, at KTM but I mean it's it's kind of I feel like the Eli change and then the Anderson change has probably got everybody that's been on a manufacturer for a really long time being like okay fair enough
2: yeah, it could be a, a big motivation. You, I, I saw the the Jason podcast and he said, like, I was always with the same people. And then I got a fresh, like, a fresh group of people and it was, it was really motivating me. So, yeah, you know, I've been with the same people for almost 13 years. And writers came, writers gone, mechanics came, mm. mechanics gone. Other people I work with came and gone. But I, I always stayed there, you know. So, um, yeah, like, after I seen with Eli, like, that he also said I needed a new motivation with, with being on Cowie since... 2017 or 2016 i don't know exactly to 16, till 2021 mean. yeah so he's been like 5 years or something uh um five or six years so he needed a change and yeah for me it's it's too early to say right now what I'm really looking forward to in one and a half year from now but yeah you know to also for the for the industry it would never be bad you know for a rider to change for example, for me, like, mm. Kaiser has been Honda, I've been KTM, Caroli been KTM, Prado been KTM, basically all their careers or a lot of time with their careers. And it's always nice because, like, when I remember when I went to watch Anaheim, I was, like, really curious to see how Tomek was going to be yeah, on yeah. the Yamaha and how Anderson was going to be on the Kaui because, okay, you've seen some videos, but then when you get a big change, especially when Kenny went from Suzuki to Honda, everybody to see mm. how that would turn out. So, um, yeah, it's it, it could be something for the industry, which is, um, yeah, it's maybe a good thing. Sometimes riders change their manufacturer, you know, it's not like in football, you have 200 clubs you can play for. It's basically, there's only five brands or something. What you, I mean, Gaz Gaz, Husqvarna, KTM is kind of one group. And then you have that Mm. Yamaha, Kawi, and Honda. And then Suzuki is basically pulled out. I heard about triumph, maybe coming to us. Um, in Mm. Europe, you have another team called beta, but it's not the best of bikes yet. So, The problem is you just don't have a major group of players where you can work Mm. with, you know? There's just a a few manufacturers and that's it.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think too, I mean, you just don't seem like the kind of guy that needs that extra motivation, you know? So you hear what Tomac said about it's a new challenge, it's a new motivation, or same with with Ando. And I just don't think motivation's (laughs) like ever been your uh a struggle for you and it probably won't ever be a struggle for you i just feel like you've got other shit going on to that motivates you to win
2: Nah, true but same you know um i've been always working with the same group of people to maybe have a small change at one time you know it can be positive it can be negative right now i'm super happy with ktm they treated me very well always throughout my career so i always had good deals i had a great bike I, i believe ktm is still a great bike right now so it's it's it's. I don't need that as a motivation. Just maybe at that time yeah. when the time comes near, maybe next year I would I would take it like okay, hey, new group of people, new bike, new motivation in that way. But right now I'm happy where I am, and um, yeah, my main priority now is to get back healthy and to win next year. Next year I'm on KDM 100 percent because it's my last year. Yeah, it's my contract still so with KDM, and yeah, obviously at one point next year we need to consider and and negotiate where we're gonna go. Uh, twenty three and beyond, but uh, yeah, we'll see.
0: Is it is it a a distracting thing to deal with the whole contract talk in the industry? Um, so Jack Miller's of one of my best mates, and he's just gone through the the whole switch to KTM. He actually wasn't even allowed to post about it or nothing like everyone else has posted about it except him because of the whole contract. You know how it works, but I mean that's just been contract talk after contract talk after contract talk and then Ricardo same deal I don't know if you follow but he had a a bad run at Monaco and the the season hasn't been what he would want and then you get to this race at Monaco and as soon as one guy says contract 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 the entire internet blew up with just people saying that uh, McLaren's kicking him out blah 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 how much as a rider does it fucking piss you off to just talk about contracts in the middle of the season.
2: Depending on your position, when you're in s- finishing seven every single weekend, you're just really begging for a ride. When you're winning, you're in a yeah, freaking hot seat, yeah. my man. Every team wants you. You know, you can put down the price, what you're requesting. Okay, it needs to be reasonable and need to be acceptable. You cannot go in MotoGP and hey, I want 10 million. Or like in Formula One or MotoGP as a top guy. But you, you have prices, more or less. They change, they go up, they go down. But... um. When you're winning, you're in the hot seat. When you're not winning and you're fighting for 10th place, yeah, you don't want to be in that position because then first the, the, the big stars, they need to put their hand on paper somewhere and then you go more down to the list. But throughout the years, I've always been, luckily, the higher fish of the of <laughs> the list. Yeah. So um, next year is going to be an important year because a lot of contracts are going to be finished. Mine, I, I believe Prado in Europe, I believe Fevre, um Seaworth. Uh, so, a lot of contracts are going to be up. Um, I believe Geiser is going to renew with Honda HSC. I don't know exactly. I just hear some rumors for 23-24. I don't know if that's signed or it's not signed, but I don't really know where else he should I heard him he should go and,
0: to. I heard him and Mitchell both signed again.
2: Oh uh, Yeah, I, but I believe, you know, HSC is nothing without Gauss in Europe. You know, they need Geiser... You know, you don't have me. You don't have uh, Prado. You don't have Renault. You don't have Favre. Oh, no. yeah. Then you need Geiser. So because um, yeah. all of the other guys are still stuck, they if if HSC doesn't sign Tim, what are they gonna do without him? I mean, Mitchell's not gonna win a championship for them. So there's only Geiser who's able to win, and um, yeah, he's he's been in the hot seat. So um, yeah, that's about it.
0: I think it's uh I think that you know it, there's on the one side it's like yeah you can get that fresh change and you can it would be pretty cool to see ride right, a different color but then I think as well KTM's probably one of the coolest companies in the world to be with if you're a motocross rider KTM probably is the coolest company and I think that the way that they they race every series in every single... You know, I think that the only series that they haven't won is a MotoGP Championship, which basically, you know, I think that's probably where most of KTM's money's going at the moment uh, is to try and win that thing. But you're just with this crazy group of people like Pitt and that whole crew just want to win everything so bad. And I mean, that's pretty in line with, <laughs> with your values. And then, you know, you think about after racing... To just be able to be involved in that company and so tight with Red Bull, and it just seems like, I don't know, it just seems like a pretty dope place to retire and stay cool with. Like, you know, Carmichael retired on a Suzuki, and then you just, it just goes away, and then you kind of, there's no, there's nothing for Carmichael to really do in motocross at Suzuki. I think he's going to be with Triumph now, Um, but you know like to stay involved and to stay with a brand like if you talk about retiring at a brand like ktm is probably the one to retire at
2: yeah you know there's the, the they also need brand ambassadors at kawi at kawi at yama at, at other manufacturers as well but ktm has been very good you know um ktm have a lot of brand ambassadors you have joel smetz in europe you have now caroli um mm. probably they have they have a few more but um Yeah, like you said, a lot of that budget goes into MotoGP right now, and obviously, this year the the results of KDM in motocross, um, unfortunately, weren't the greatest. You know, they haven't won a Supercross championship. Lights not uh, 450. They're probably not going to win a 450 outdoor championship. They're not going to win a 450 MGP championship uh most likely with guys being leading. Uh, they have highly chances on MX2, but regarding to to a few years back, you know, they were they were dominating everything, but. Obviously, they were at bad luck with me being injured, and yeah, just things just didn't click this year. Um, you have those years you see with Mitch Payton in, in the, the, in the, the yeah. beginning of the de- last decade in 2010, everybody wanted to be on a Mitch Payton Kawasaki every weekend one, two, three, four, five with a monster pro circuit guy. So, um, you can it's normal, you cannot always win, and yeah. I believe KTM still yeah. is. most arguably maybe still the number one team but just that bad luck you know like with me being injured with Cooper Webb having some issues at the beginning of the year you know he he wasn't his his self let's say um then Eli going to Yama and being super super fast and Jason being super fast you know you can always win but globally I think yeah KTM is just a great team and 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 even if I would the finish with ktm i w- then i can look back on a great career and on and working with it w- only one great brand um so anywhere any decision i'll make i will support it and i believe also if you would go to a brand like kawi or yama uh they will also maybe look after you after your career but definitely being finishing with ktm after such a long time of 16 years is different mm. than finishing with like for example three years for yama or kawi or, or anything hundred, like that so 100% it's different you know so uh but right now i'm super happy with kdm and i think yeah this is something really early to talk about right now but in a year from now yeah once again it's gonna be a hot topic from for myself personally to decide what i'm gonna do as as my final contract
0: yeah so uh to be like uh, let's go like done with racing now and you posted on your instagram a while ago and it was like the most fucking gangster thing in the world where you're like just signed off my nine millionth house and uh fucking <laughs> i'm the man <laughs> basically it yeah. was the most like, out of control flex of all time so you're pretty deep in the real estate game huh
2: yeah and actually it's doing good man <laughs> it's good doing good Less worrying, <laughs> racing people just paying the rent nothing i need to do for that so um no it's cute because I, I really love it like i've been like when I had my, my my impact on my right foot, it was almost like a Kenny Roxon career-ending-ending ending move uh, or injury. So at that point, I was like, okay, what I'm gonna do? You know, I had really good contracts. I won a lot. Um, I've been doing this 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 game since 12 years, and uh, at that time, you know, I decided to go into real estate, which was still a good time because now in Holland, especially where I lived, the the, the it's overheated with the war i don 't know if you know about the war we're having here in, in, and yeah, yeah. Russia and Ukraine, and then there's whole coronavirus and all the material getting super expensive. so I just got everything sorted just before then, so the house price went really a lot up and um yeah it's something for after my career because it's just it's a it's a low risk you know. I know a lot of your Aussie friends are a lot into crypto and uh, shit like that, but that's yeah. that's like a gambling kind of thing. With real estate, it's a car market. Yeah. People just pay the rent every single month. You know your income, and that just brought me a lot of peace. And um, yeah, I just like real estate. So uh, also went after my career. I, I'm not the type of guy who, who would who would still love to travel to all the races and just be a brand ambassador. For me, when I retire racing, I'm done, man. I I I don't maybe i ride now and then for fun with some friends but i don't want to go to every single gp or coach or writer whatsoever so then i more or less i'm also a little bit business related i love to do to mm. work with money and, and 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 stuff like this so that's maybe something what i'm going to do after my career to do and do something with real estate for now i don't know exactly what i want to do because i still plan on racing for a few more years but that's one of the options i could maybe do after my after my career
0: yeah, because, I mean, I, I guess that's interesting that that you don't see yourself going to the races and, and riding as much. Like, do, is riding still, like, how much of you still just thinks riding is fun? And how much of it is tied to the the results and the winning and the, like, competitiveness and doing the best that you can? Uh because there is definitely like beat like Ben Townley I just went and raced with Ben Townley two weekends ago we had the most fucking fun I think I've ever had well on a bike I had the least amount of fun that I've ever had because I sucked uh but in terms of at a race weekend just hanging with my friends that was probably one of the funnest weekends of my entire life and like BT dude there was one moto where because he fucking raced the pros I think he got like fifth or something But there was one moto that he come in and he's like, just jumps on the ground. He's like, bro, you got to pop my knee back in. You got to pop my knee back in. So I'm like grabbing on his fucking Alpine star, pulled his knee back in the socket. And he's like, dude, how good is the track right now? And he's just frothing, bro. Just fully losing it. Like moto kid loves it more than ever. So it's like, do you see yourself being that guy that still loves to ride? Or is riding just like literally a means to an end? (laughs)
2: <laughs> this guy had some serious injury BT man fuck he had a shit load of injuries do <laughs> I make to your a question yeah <laughs> he's gnarly dude bro um, nah like right now for me uh, I do it because I love doing it I love riding but at the same time I love doing it because I want good results like like I could have came back yeah. and and not have the surgery and, and still be a bit of pain and, and ride around and maybe win some races here and there but I want to be completely healthy and come back for winning because I, I for me it's fun when I'm able to win when I finish fifth, it's not fun. There's no fun of finishing fifth and not being a podium. You want to win, so um, for me, it's just a mix. It, it's just fun when I'm able to ride for at least podiums or at least for for trying to win. Not if I'm just there to burning fuel and finishing seventh, I'm out, bro. I'm I'm, I'm for sure you can finish seventh sometimes, but at, at mainly, you know, I, I want to be just competitive for, for a championship. And the day I'm not competitive anymore, I don't feel like it's going to be fun anymore by then.
0: yeah yeah, no that's that makes sense and that's respectable too you know so what uh real estate wise like how hands-on are you are you watching markets are you doing that whole deal or are you like you've got some people that you work with or how interested in it are you
2: i'm really interested in it like um but like now it's not a great time because of the war obviously to invest a bit more because like now everything is super super expensive but um I'm really into it I like it um just it's, it's pretty boring you know like I've got my people doing it for me but yeah they just buy they're, they're just building a house and yeah they're building a house and yeah there's nothing really spectacular onto it and it's just pure as a vestment. um but then you come back to the business side and then you start thinking, okay, hey, what if I'm going to buy them and I'm going to sell them at one point, you know, and I'll make the profit. So that's things, you know, for after my career. Um, but for now, the first few years, that's not nothing to, to really worry about. But things like that could be interesting as a, uh, in a way of, of really trying to make for money, more money. Um, mm. But right now I'm just focused on my sport and I don't like. Yeah, we've been speaking a little bit about money, but I don't really give a shit about money to be honest. Uh, it's 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 important mm. as as your career is is, is short. But um, for me, the fun in racing is still the racing and the riding, and definitely there's mm. that's not so fun times when you just shatter your foot and your foot is like all the way around on your on your on your leg. You're like, this is not so much fun. But when 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 you healed up and everything goes well, then you, yeah, you kind of enjoy enjoy it. And for me, the most enjoyable is when you're on top step of the podium and you're trying to. You know you you're beating the top guys that makes me just smile then you go to bed on a Sunday night, you're like yeah boy we've done it you know so um yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nah that's so sick dude um uh, yeah because i think like i think about uh, mick Dillon a lot i mean he was won five moto g well five 500 gp titles or whatever it was called back then won them in a row and then he kind of like made a bit of money through his career and he ended up getting like he kind of worked his way into getting this private jet and then that turned into now he owns like this jet craft business and he's just super into business and it's almost like the investing and the business thing become his second sport and all of the things that he the same things that he enjoyed about Racing at the highest level and beating the best guys, he now enjoys that same thing in business, and I, I could kind of see you being similar in that way.
2: Yeah, hundred percent. Because you're like now you're such okay if the ground is that price there we're going to find try to find ground where it's cheaper and then if you trying to it's it's like kind of a sport and then you go try to, to the builder who is building the houses okay you try to ask five kind of companies like hey you for, for what price can you do it what price can you do it so it it actually is a sport you know like to yeah. get it as as high quality as you can for the cheapest price as you can so eventually it's 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 kind of a sport but it's just different it's a low it's just a financial risk there's no I oh, yeah. you say uh, human Physical. body <laughs> risk involved. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> True. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and I think that, um, yeah, you are right. Like, and I think it is cool for you to say that you like the winning more than the money. Like, and again, it's the goal. If the goal is to just be a millionaire, you could spend your entire life thinking about how to be a millionaire. But if you like, you go, all right, the goal is to win or to be the best dirt bike rider on the planet. Well, if you're the best dirt bike rider on the planet, you're just going to be a millionaire. It's the same as if you're the best uh, like race car driver in the world. It's just there's certain things. If you're the best singer in the world, if you're the best YouTuber in the world, whatever you are, if you're the best in the world at it, then money is going to be a byproduct. And to be the best in the world at something, you can't be motivated by the money because it's just not enough. I don't think that money is fulfilling enough of a thing to put you yourself through what you've put yourself through in your life. Like, you've paid, I mean, even if you read off the injury list, like if you said to someone like, hey, I'll transfer $10 million into your account right now, but you've got to break your neck, you've got to shadow your heel, you've got to break your other foot, you've got to do this, you've got to do 4 million kilometers on a road bike, you've got to burn 500,000 liters. of If you listed all the shit that you did in your career and then just said to that person, but i'll transfer 12 million dollars into your bank account (laughs) but it's not that most people nobody would have fucking known they couldn't do it (laughs) bro no one's signing up for that shit they'd go like fuck i'll just try to do crypto
2: (laughs) yeah i'll just put something in crypto nah true you know it's for me money never been a motivation like i i that's what i said in the beginning of our talk like if money is your motivation you will not make it like you Will make it mm. if you're passionate about your sport, if you're passionate about winning in your discipline, and that's what I've always been like I've been. And then the money will come, like, like, yeah, and that's what I said before about Christian Aron. He will not go to that football match to try to get money, he wants to go to the win, and I'm in there in the same thing. And eventually, every sport has their numbers like, motocross is here, MotoGP is there, Formula One is there, football is maybe even higher. But end of the day, if you want to become rich is difficult you know okay, for sure you need to have that motivation but in a sport wise you want to go there to win you if, if you go there because hey if I win I'll get a hundred thousand euro bonus or fifty thousand whatever it may be you're not gonna win you want to you want to go there to say hey I'm gonna win and I want to win and I want to beat this freaking Eli Tomac or yeah. Tim Geis or wherever it may be you know and that's that's how I believe you're gonna win but everybody's different and for some guys money is a motivation for somebody's don't and it's just the way it is
0: yeah well mate i reckon i don't know what the time is but i reckon we've probably done three hours so i um we've i done. appreciate <laughs> it i've i have enjoyed this podcast so much you're a fucking g <laughs> and uh yeah mate you're welcomed on here anytime that you want uh and my goal leaving here is to have a group text with me you and eli and we're going to set up a race for a hundred thousand dollars <laughs>
2: <laughs> you're gonna get the and budget i'm together, dead, serious. Get, I dead serious i'm dead serious make eli motivated and we're gonna freaking send it nah all right mate thank you so much i appreciate it and um yeah i don't know what time it is in australia but i see something like nine in the evening probably on your uh on your yeah, watch yeah. so uh yeah have a, have a good night mate and uh we'll stay in touch
0: yeah man and thank you for doing this i really appreciate it and again shout out to rick this wouldn't be happening if it wasn't for him uh make sure you check out the behind the bullet series on youtube uh i'd say it'll probably be coming the next time that that you race so shout out to rick he's the fucking man he makes all the the gypsy tales in europe happen um and yeah bro thank you so much i've enjoyed it so much and i know so many people are gonna love listening to you so all
2: right i'm very curious to see when does it come out
0: like Probably... when you're going to put it up to YouTube
2: or whatever. Or Spotify. Or I reckon maybe like
0: a, a, next week maybe, I think, by the time we oh, get it all edited and, and and done. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, we're not all fucking right. around. People want this, bro.
2: All right, bro. I'm going to be excited to see it. All right, mate. Have a good night. See ya.
0: you. You too, legend. Appreciate it. All right,
2: mate. See you. What's <laughs> the eh?